Is it some devil that crawls inside of you? So yeah, I did just fucking watch comedian for the first time. Mm-hmm. And what, what were we talking about before I got sidetracked on Orny Adams? Oh man. I don't know. I don't know either. Don't know what led us into comedian. Oh, 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 it was, um, cause, cause you were talking, we were talking about coffee and like the routine. Oh, right. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. <sighs> so Seinfeld, I think it was Seinfeld. I totally be fucking this up. So sorry, but I'm pretty sure he said, oh, I watched this construction worker go back to work after this horrible. You know what? Now that I think about it, I don't think it was Seinfeld. (laughs) I don't think it was him. Mm -hmm. It was someone. I was watching someone, a video. Someone said they're like, gosh, if this person is going to work after their lunch break, this construction worker doing something he doesn't want to be doing and can still do it, then I can be a fucking comedian and write because right. that's something I actually want to do. I, I think could that sit was, down. I think either Seinfeld said it or Colin Quinn said it to Seinfeld. That's who, Somebody that's who it was. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was Colin. God, he's a fucking gem and he's like the, one of the best parts of that whole documentary. Yeah. Wow. I've, I've watched that probably 10, 15 times now Wow, because every time I do, it makes me want to do comedy. Um, Favorite comedian who is in that documentary too, Gary Shandling. Oh yeah. I think we've talked about him before. What like what an impact he had on my life. But in that documentary specifically, there's a scene where they're in the green room and it's him and Chris Rock and Seinfeld and Gary's got like all of these notepads everywhere and they're making fun of him for being so neurotic and he goes on stage and kills <laughs> and comes back just really calm and they're like they're all kind of eating their words yeah, because yeah, he, he knows what he's doing, but outwardly he looked kind of like he didn't or like he was a mess. Like, yeah, like maybe he, he was he, out of sorts. Yeah. He's just got scraps of paper all over the place, but it, that was a method that worked for him. I, you know, it, it's weird to, I don't know what works for me yet. Cause I'm still so new as a comedian, still like an open micer. So it's going to be a while to like find the process that works. Yeah. But it's a are lot. Are we rolling yet? Yeah, we are. Okay. We're yeah, rolling we now. It's a lot of fun to find out like I'm having a lot of fun trying to figure out like what's going to be my, yeah. How am I going to write? Like Burr doesn't write things down. Yeah. He just memorizes them. Right. But like not memorize, not, not verbatim. Yeah. He just remembers the bit and then he's like, Oh yeah. Uh, tag it with that. Yeah. You and see then, like their set list and it's just one word, mm-hmm. which would, will get them on a roll. I think Louis CK is like that too. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking I on the drive he here, yeah. um, I think a lot of those comedians who have been doing it for a long time, they write from the stage. So they, they think of a concept, they write it in their phone or something and they get on stage and they start trying it, Yeah. but it doesn't make sense yet. If you, that's why Allie and I love to go to Largo because mm-hmm. Largo for whatever reason is a club where comedians like to go to work out new material. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite parts of the writing process is seeing somebody take nothing and make it something. And we'll see like John Mulaney there and he'll come out with a bit that's not even really that funny or you can see him floundering. And then six months later, we'll see his special and it kills Yeah. because they know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they know that process. And then a lot of times we'll see them and they'll have a great bit and it doesn't make it to the special. And we're like, now we have no way to relive that experience and, and see that bit again. But I was thinking on the drive here about you. You were mentioning your mom's monster truck. Yeah. And I thought immediately, 
there's a lot of material that you have from your, your family life is very unique to mm. your situation yeah. that I think if you talked about your relationship with your mom and your relationship with your dad and how sort of strange they are to you, that it would translate really well to an audience. And I thought, I want to hear Dallas talk about his uniqueness and what makes him like, as opposed to observational humor Ooh. that some comedians okay. are like, they, they talk about, you ever read the back of a shampoo bottle and you see this <laughs> and this with you. I think I want to hear you talk about your life and how strange it is compared to an average person's life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. I think, um, I try to, remind myself not to be too up my own ass because I'm yeah. pretty fucking selfish, pretty conceited, you know, I'll always been very like to myself, Yeah, you know, and sometimes like when people are uh, more introverted or more like reserved, what happens is they end up getting so self-involved mm -hmm. and I'm trying to like run away from that. Yeah. Cause I know how bad where it's like, Oh, I'm so fucking up my own ass. Yeah. I don't realize that there's other people going on around me. And I try to have like a huge amount of self-awareness. Yeah. So I don't disagree with you mm -hmm. because what I'm thinking is, Oh, some of my like best, most like confident things I can make jokes about. They're all family shit. Yeah. All family jokes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, fuck. So, so I, you See, in my that. experience, I've, I've come the other way around. When I started writing songs, I thought the key was to write songs that everyone can relate to that are universal about liking a girl or something mm -hmm. generic about having your heart broken. And I did that for a long time. And as I became a better songwriter, mm -hmm. I started to think, I don't know that I actually believe half of the stuff I'm saying in this or feel it or connect to it anymore. And then when I started actually writing songs for me, where I didn't care what anybody was thinking when they listened to it, the more I started to turn to my own unique life experiences and write about those and in turn found out, oh, now people are suddenly interested because <laughs> the more specific yeah. I get about my life, the more relatable they find it because they're like, I haven't even been through that experience, but the way you describe it, I relate to it. I get what you're saying. And I'm, I'm definitely that way with songwriters. When I listen to music, mm -hmm. I want to hear somebody talk about their unique experience down to the most mundane detail. And the more specific they are, the more I relate to it. Even if it's something I haven't been through, I'm like, God, you nailed that emotion though. Yeah. The, like it's very, or like with a movie too, if, if you can do it evocatively and make me feel it, it makes me feel like I've been through it. Like I'm nostalgic for an experience I didn't even have. That's what I mean is like, I'm not saying that that's my advice for you, but I'm saying I'm interested in hearing you develop material mm -hmm. that touches on what's strange or unique about you, what stands out about your life experience. And in the way that when you see Bill Burr live, at least when I see Bill Burr live now, I want to know what's been going on in your house. Yeah. What has your wife been doing that's mm -hmm. getting on your nerves? What is your daughter doing now that mm -hmm. you have a kid? Like I want to see their unique take on the, the standard. I'm yeah. growing up, I'm becoming an adult. I got married, I had a kid. Yeah, but how does Bill Burr talk about it compared to how... John Mulaney talks about it or something. It's mm -hmm. completely different styles. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. And I think, um, I, I can't remember what song it was, but there's, you have some lyrics in, uh, fucking, I can't remember the name of the song, but you absolutely have come full circle in that, at least in the terms of like, I know where your lyrics are in the, mm -hmm. in your last release and how specific and relatable they got. And I was yeah. like, fucking, 
damn, <laughs> he got that one right, nailed it on the head. But it was something that you experienced, right? You know, yeah. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I fucking even though you're not a comedian, uh, if I were to take someone's advice that wasn't a comedian, it'd be yours. And also, I was gonna say, like, why not be a comedian or try comedy? Because if I think anyone has the pedigree for it, or at least the uh, sensibility for it, yeah, I get that from you yeah. a lot more I, than most I of my friends. I love to write. I love to be on stage, and I love to make people laugh. But mm-hmm. uh, combining the three and doing it, it just feels like such a a big step for me that I think I keep pushing it. Just like getting married or something. It's yeah. like I would love to do that. But the closer I get to it, the more afraid I am of it or Mm -hmm. the more I feel unprepared for it. So I just keep thinking, well, I'll get there when I get there. And when I do, it's going to be a major thing in my life. But right now I'm not ready to do that. And it just gets pushed off. I would love to do Do stand up. Well, I would love to see you do stand up. So let's get that done (laughs) this year if everything goes back to normal. Um, So do you not usually jump into things like that? Are you super calculated in that respect? Yeah, I think I have a lot of things that I want to do, but they feel sometimes I think I let things happen on their own and maybe I depend on that too much because when I'm working on a new album or like when I get an idea to do like the Your Own Backyard podcast, it snowballs and becomes its own thing without me pushing it. It's like, I didn't, I didn't decide I'm going to do this right now. It decided for me. And I kind of have let my life unfold that way because it's always been when I just let things happen their own way, they tend to happen well, but there's a trap there where I'm going to miss out on a lot of things in life because it's like, well, I waited for it and it didn't come. So there are certain things in my life that I've needed to push at certain times. Like if we don't get this done right now, it's never going to happen. And I think that Allie and I have kind of settled into a life where we're complacent and we know what we want to do and we're very uh, settled in. And at times we need to shake that up a bit and go, I think it's time to finally do this. I think we need to start looking into doing this so that it happens because otherwise... makes risk more interesting too. Yeah. I like that. I I can relate. But me personally, I'll fucking put my eggs in all kinds of baskets. Like I love doing 29 things Mm -hmm. and just seeing like, listen, something's got to stick. Damn it. (laughs) You know, because by the time, you know, 10 years from now, some of these are going to be some beautiful flowers I've grown, you know, some beautiful plants I've watered. But right now it's just a bunch of gross little seedlings. Mm -hmm. So I can relate. I can relate. I like the, just letting things kind of unfold and happen organically around you. Yeah. Because, I'm scared of making those big steps a lot. Yeah. Oftentimes, like even with the podcast, like I feel like there's things I could be doing to like get it bigger Mm -hmm. and like making it grow. And I'm like, "Hmm, well, let me just, uh, (laughs) let me just hold back. Wait till it all kind of falls into my lap. Just like everything else with the podcast. Like I just, I don't even remember if I talked about it with my brother or something, but he just bought me a microphone one day Uh and I was like, Oh, uh, looks like I got to start it. Yeah. So that was a huge catalyst. And I was like, good thing I didn't fucking, I don't know what I would have bought. Yeah. I don't even know how that came to be. And then interfaces and now I'm onto this and, oh, and I have a couple people, people come to you with their podcasts. You said like, yeah. Oh yeah. To like edit and stuff and like kind of, yeah, or I mean, I mean, I came to you with mine. What am I yeah. saying? I don't even need to ask you. I would you. say that since I started the, are we okay? Podcast. 
which was 2016, there hasn't been more than a few months that somebody hasn't asked for advice or something, which I'm happy to do. But then it took off last year and now mm-hmm. um, I'm either helping people edit their podcasts or I'm meeting them for coffee to discuss how do you even get a podcast off the ground? How do you get it onto the internet? How do you make it stick? How do you promote it? Which I don't have a secret for. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, especially with your own backyard, when people are asking, how did you get so much attention for that? I'm not the person to ask about that. It hit at the right time. Mm-hmm. I really took my time with it and I made sure that I was doing it in a way that I thought was correct. And then it just snowballed. It was it was word of mouth, totally word of mouth. I didn't pay a penny to promote it anywhere or advertise. There's no ads in the podcast itself. There weren't billboards. There weren't anything. Wow. So it happened the way that it did. I mean, you chose the right topic, evidently. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was just... For that case specifically, it was a case that had been dormant for so long and people knew the name, so they're interested, Mm -hmm. but they didn't really know the details or even if they thought they knew the details, there were so many they didn't that once they heard other people talking about it, you have to check out this podcast, that they started listening and were like, oh my God, there's a lot here. I mean, it's essentially a seven hour documentary about this girl's life and her disappearance and the aftermath and what her family has dealt with. Um, I think pretty much anybody can put it on and get sucked into it, even if they didn't know yeah. the name. But I think it was sorely missing in this community was that we know this girl is missing, but nobody's talking about it at length. Mm-hmm. And if they were, we would we would listen. Yeah. So I think I just filled a niche that needed. I think yeah. th- there's a strong possibility that if I tried to repeat it, it wouldn't happen the same way twice. Mm-hmm. And I'm very careful with that because people keep asking, when is your second season? Well, the first season isn't done yet. It's real life. It's yeah. like it's happening in real time. Uh, you're seeing the waves of what happened. It's being talked about. And now the sheriff's department is announcing each time there's a new search warrant. They're telling the public, hey, we're going to this house today to look for items of evidence. And yeah, it's not done until she's either home or he's arrested or something. But I certainly don't want to start a season two just so that I'm putting something out. And I think people are so hooked on that that crime junkie or my favorite murder style yeah. where it's just every week we're going to talk about a different case. I don't want to do that. I'm mm-hmm. not the right person to do it. And I really like to take my time with things and try to do them in a way that I think is the best that I can do. And for me, it's crafting a podcast the way I craft an album, which is I want it to be a whole experience. Yeah. And that's going to take some time. So I don't want to rush into it. And when I do pick up a new case, if I do pick up a new case, I want to make sure that it's something that would benefit from that and is not just me talking about it for the sake of talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I, it fucking... Hmm. I don't even know how to put it into words. If you didn't take your time with it, yeah, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal because other people have had podcasts about this. Other people have posted videos about this. Yeah. There, there were a lot of people before I put out the first episode who heard that I was working on a Kristen Smart podcast that were not the slightest bit interested because they pictured in their head some guy in his garage just talking about this girl miss, went missing and nobody knows where she is for you have, 25 minutes. You had a production. It's not even, it's to even compare it to normal podcasts is a disservice to what you did because it's there really are, a documentary and is, you yeah. have uh, so many sound bites, inserts, interviews, yeah. like it's just an audio documentary. Yeah. 
there are podcasts that do that really well. Oh yeah. That I was looking up to, to I want that level like serial. Okay. Where it's like when the first season of serial came out and you hear her driving the route and mm-hmm. you like hear them interviewing people who were there and know what happened. It's like, I want to reach for that because to me that's top shelf journalism okay. in podcasting. Um, but all I've totally lost my train of thought right there. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I keep doing it too. What was I saying? Um, oh, but one of the pet peeves that I have that's mm-hmm. just sort of my own personal uh, Ooh, what is it? cross to bear is now that it's gotten so much attention yeah. and there's like a Facebook group dedicated to discussing it all the time mm-hmm. and there's articles, newspaper articles coming out constantly and people commenting and that is even people who loved my podcast are like, I want like Crime Junkie to talk about this or I want, they want it to be on their favorite podcast. Yeah. And to me that feels a little bit like, hey, I, <laughs> I really sunk two years into my of my life into telling this story and really taking my time with it. And I get that you want to hear your favorite podcast, discuss it, but is that going to be more helpful than what's already been done? And then two, a lot of people will comment and be like, I love the podcast, but somebody needs to make a documentary about this now. And that feels a little bit like, I mean, it's, it would essentially just be doing what I did with cameras and that's not, going to help that much more. My either. imagination wasn't good enough. <laughs> I need pictures, please. Moving pictures. That's what they, that's what they're saying. But I, I don't know that people, maybe they don't know to the extent that they're, they're talking about like, we need to get this on Netflix because mm-hmm. if it got that amount of attention, then people, then they would have to solve it. And <laughs> for one, <laughs> the downloads are in the million. I mean, millions of downloads, wow. which I'm not bragging. I'm saying it's got a lot of attention. <laughs> I would be. It's gotten a lot of attention. And two, Netflix came to me. Like several different people came to me with offers to produce it. And I'm still getting emails regularly from people who are saying, we want to know if you want to option this story. Mm -hmm. To me, for one, it's not my story to option. It's like, I know that you want to take the format of the podcast and make it into a documentary TV series. Talk to her parents about that. Like talk to the people who are actually who actually matter, their opinions matter in this. Her parents don't want to move forward with a TV series right now. They, they want to give the sheriff's department some time to react to what's been discussed and to finish up on what they've been doing. And if enough time passes, they'll get annoyed with that and they'll want to push harder. But right now we're in a place where it's like, I don't want to do a series about it. They don't want a series done about their daughter. Let's just let it be what it was. I am happy to make a new episode yeah. when it when it's time. But right now people are like, are you going to do a new episode about the search that happened? <laughs> well, you know probably almost as much about the search that I know. There's no, I know a, there's no new light I'm shedding right, here. I know just a tiny bit more than the public knows because I talk to the family all the time and I'm, I'm in good with the sheriff's department mm-hmm. and I'm in good with some people who are involved with those searches. But it's not enough to fill out an hour long episode and you don't want me to put out a two minute bonus episode to catch you. It's just not enough. There will be a new episode when it's time for there to be a new episode, but I don't know. I guess I'm just ranting because it annoys me to see people discuss what they think will help. And in reality, it's like, I don't think that will help as much as you think it will help. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, what cases have been on a Netflix series that have been successfully resolved? There, yeah, there's the a ones lot of that are resolved, they, they've already been resolved. Yeah. And then they put Even the, like making a murderer yeah. where, where people were talking about it and people were signing petitions to get these people out of jail. 
it ultimately it, it hasn't led to anything actually happening. It's great that so many people are involved or interested or same with uh, the Adnan Syed case in the first ser- season of Serial. Okay. People were really fired up about like, this guy's innocent. We need mm-hmm. to get him out of prison. We need to help him appeal this. And he exhausted his appeals. I don't know if he has more coming up, but they were denied. And so I get that people think that if a case is featured on their favorite TV show or their favorite podcast, that that stands a chance of finally cracking it open. But I think they're kind of a little bit naive. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 an idealistic way of thinking. If they just talked about it on a national TV show, I, that would I'm, shake I'm, things I'm, up. I'm guilty of that same thing because uh-huh. there's certain people where I'm like, oh, if only this thing that I like was on this podcast, yeah. then everyone would like it and I would be <laughs> validated. Yeah. I think people are just trying to like puppet what would validate them and know that like, hey, maybe everyone would take me and my interests seriously if it was on the one of the in, legitimate interests I have type yeah. of thing. So I don't know. I, I think it can come from a lot of people like very skeptical mm-hmm. um, because it's like weird culture of like binging things. And like, I don't let TV shows waste my time. I'm like, I'm either going to watch this for the next seven days straight. Yeah. Or it's going to bore me the first five minutes <laughs> and I go, nope, not happening. Never again. Fuck off. <laughs> so, and I know there are people who did that with my podcast. I, I read some pretty negative comments on Reddit and there was actually one podcast that reviews podcasts Ew. who decided not to review mine because of how much they hated the first five minutes of the first episode. <laughs> and they were like, we're not even going to review this. But then they spent 25 minutes talking about why they weren't going to review it, which is essentially a review. <laughs> and they were, yeah, it was really exaggerated, like talking about how terrible this podcast is. And it's just like clearly so amateurish and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I, I mean, it can't be that bad. I mean, <laughs> it can't be that bad. To, I've heard Agreed. terrible podcasts and it's like, I mean, tell them to listen to the first 20 episodes of my podcast and then give <laughs> yours a retry. Jesus. I don't, what a bunch of assholes. Yeah. But a podcast reviewing podcast sounds like the most, <laughs> most asshole thing. I don't, Jesus. What a bunch so, of doofuses. Yeah. But that's that's not the stuff that should matter. It doesn't it doesn't really matter what a podcast reviewing podcast or people on Reddit thought about it as yeah. much as it matters what the community thought, mm-hmm. what the sheriff's department thought, and whether or not it had an impact on their investigation, which it has. It's brought in a lot of tips and leads that they followed up on now, uh, and most importantly, what her family thinks. Yeah. It was that ultimately I wasn't even going to do it if her family didn't want it done. And now it, you know, it's, we, we actually formed a pretty good friendship with their family and now they keep in touch with us and we talk, we talk every other day or so. And when we do, it's briefly about what's going on with the case mm-hmm. and mostly about just our personal lives now. Kristen Smart's mom bought us an instant pot and mailed it to us. I could cry right now. And every- <laughs> I, already, I already cried for the month, but. I could cry. Every few days or so, she'll check in with us and see what we're making for dinner <laughs> in the Instant Pot. And her birthday was the other day, and we played bingo with her on Zoom <laughs> and had a blast. And it's like, yeah, I would much rather 
have this sort of relationship with her and pace myself and put out a new episode when it's time. Then go meet with then, Netflix. Yeah. Oh, or geez. then sell this <laughs> yeah. or to just rush into, I'm going to put out 20 more episodes so that I can keep telling this story or make money or get more downloads or yeah. whatever. It's like, I'm very content with what was already done and what will be done later on down the road. And it won't be that much. There, there, I'm not going to let that much time pass if nothing is actually being done. But mm-hmm. in this year alone, there's been five search warrants now that wow. the public knows about that have been national headline news. Uh, and I, I have faith that it's about to crack open. It's like it's okay. happening and I am fully willing to allow it time to breathe and not push too hard, even though I'm right there. I'm right there ready to push if I need to. Yeah. I, I'm not on anybody's side. It's like there was somebody the other day who said uh, that they didn't, uh, they had a tip that they wanted to share, but they didn't want to share it with me because they felt like I was too pro law enforcement. And it's like, how do you listen to that podcast was and that, come away was that thinking, me? Did I do that? No, just how do you come away thinking that I was pro law enforcement? I'm, I really kind of ripped into all of their failures. That's what I was and, thinking. I was yeah, like, I, they, they were for you to say like, you got to end good with the sheriffs. I'm like, Oh really? <laughs> they were upset when they met me. They were like, we didn't like that. You said this, we didn't like that. You don't understand this, but by, by the end of it, we, we got on the same page. Like they, we, we sort of won each other over, I guess. Yeah. But I, I would, in no terms say, oh, I'm so pro, pro law enforcement now. I'd be so scared like, if a bunch of like cops came up and they're like, listen, <laughs> asshole, A, B, and three. Bullshit. Don't, <laughs> why'd you say that? We're nice, right? Cops and guns and shit in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I'm yeah. I'm being respectful and I'm allowing them time to do what they do, what their jobs are. So what the person do? They they with the tip, they're afraid. They shared to, the tip with somebody the, else. Okay. So now now that tip is being discussed and which is fine, but okay. I was like, why didn't they come I mean, I get so many tips regularly. I didn't get that one and the person who got the tip was like, "Oh, they said they didn't want to talk to you cuz they thought you were too pro law enforcement." But they also said they didn't listen to your podcast. Like what? Then how did they decide I was? Where did they surmise this? Because no maybe uh, my Facebook post where I said, "Hey, I interviewed yeah, the sheriff's maybe. department." And they're like, "He's on their side." I'm not on anybody's side. The people I'm, can be so close-minded when they're like, "Oh, you even inv- interviewed the other side?" Right. When they, I think people are too uh, divisive in their own heads. Yeah. And I, I'm guilty of this. Where. I'll have like, oh, there's a red team and a blue team, or there's a good guy or a bad guy type of thing. And I've done that my whole life. I used to, like, even with Coca-Cola and Pepsi, I'm like, clearly one's better than the other (laughs) Coca-Cola. And the other one's like the gross bad guy version, right? So uh, people, good for you for having the uh, stamina to just like field through all that shit. Because I'm sure that maybe there's a credible tip that person had. Right. But also maybe there's been 10,000 different people just coming at you with bullshit clogging your fucking (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm I'm getting pretty quick at determining early on whether or not it's credible or not. Whether, and, and who's wasting your time. Yeah, it's and it's not even necessarily wasting my time. I think everybody is coming at it with good intentions and they want to help. But a lot of times it's just something they heard that can't be substantiated okay. and it doesn't really help me, um, which well, still send it to me. I yeah, mean, okay. it, you don't know because there might be something that you don't think is important that is actually massively important. So share mm. anything you can, especially with the sheriff's department, not necessarily just me, but 
there are other things that people send to me that it's like, I would really love to look into this, but you didn't leave your name or your phone number or any way to get a hold of you. Hmm. Or like I got an, I got a tip the other day that said, check out this address and like her body is buried in the backyard. And it was in like way Northern California, completely far away from any connection to anybody. I looked up the real estate records for that house and saw the names of everybody who ever lived there. No connection whatsoever wow. that I know of to the case. And they didn't say why they think she's there. So it's like, you didn't leave me a way to get a hold of you or to verify who you are or why you're telling me this. And two, you didn't even tell me why to look. You just said, hey, look here. But I, people could do that all day. You could just send tips in and be like, look in this backyard, look in this backyard. And if you want the sheriff's department to follow up with it, you want them to dig up the backyard and actually look for her. You need to have a damn good reason why they're going to do that because it costs a lot of money to get that equipment and get a search warrant for that yard. You have to establish to a judge why you need a search warrant for that yard. It's just, there's so much that goes into it that you, you got to make sure that the tip that you're sending actually has some legs to it. Yeah. Give it some, yeah, some validity. Maybe there's some, and it very well could be there with things like this, that what frustrates me about it is there's no way of knowing that she's not in Mm, a location until you search there for her. And so when somebody says something like this, I think more than likely there, there's no connection here, but there could be. And that kills me. I just want to know, more than anything still, I think I said this the first time I was on your podcast, I just want to know where her body is right now. Yeah. I just like, I would love to know how she died and where her body was first like moved to and, and all of the details. But more than anything, it's like, I just want to know where she is right now. I want her parents to have her back and have that be over with and let the sheriff's department deal with all the aftermath of who's going to be punished for this and what the punishment should be. I don't really care, but the part about finding where her body is uh, keeps me up at night still. It's I, if, I bet I couldn't imagine what you dream about and have mm-hmm. nightmares about because of this. Yeah, I, I'm a very visceral dreamer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have yeah. dreams like, oh wow, that happened yesterday, and then I dreamt about this shit happening. Yeah, it, it that sounds haunting. Yeah, yeah, I've got them rough sometimes, and then I kind of pass that on to Allie sometimes. So mm-hmm. I talk about it so much that yeah. sometimes she dreams That's about it. That's right. And, she she had said something to yeah. me. I don't know if it was when she was on the podcast, but um, she's, yeah, she said even she was having dreams about the yeah. case and stuff. It, so. it kind of, it took over our lives for a good six months or so. And it's still a very big part. Like, um, what was it? April 22nd. So like t- a week and a half ago, yeah. they just executed another search warrant at Paul's house in San Pedro. Uh-huh. I don't know if you saw it on the news or on Facebook. I, I saw a headline. Yeah. It was headline news all over the place and it went right back to where it was, which is court TVs trying to get a hold of me. Uh-huh. Um, NBC, oh, just flip, CBS, flip like, of a switch just like that. huh? Yeah. They need Oof. you and they want me that day and they want me on camera. That's the thing they're all pushing for. And I keep declining on camera interviews. So they're like, can we get you to drive to a studio and we'll like film you long distance and like let you Skype with them? No. And then they're like, well, can you Skype from your own house? And it's just, for one, the family has asked that we not do that. Like the family is in a position now where they're declining interviews and they've hired a publicist who takes care of that for them. The publicist offered to work for me like pro bono, just anybody who wants to talk to you, pass them off to me. I'll deal with it. Nice. When it comes 
down to it, we will talk to Dateline. We're going to talk to 48 Hours. All of the big networks are waiting for a resolution. And it's like, yeah, once it's resolved, once there's something to actually talk about, I'm happy to sit down and do the right thing and just tell you how I got involved with this and we can talk about the impact it had and the family's willing to talk. But right now, there's just nothing for us to say. It's just, there's a lot of stuff that's going on that the sheriff's department is only giving us a tiny piece of. And what a disservice it would be to the whole scenario for them to just fucking gobble it up and just shit it out as more content. Right. Instead of having the whole story and case and resolution. Right. And that's what Denise Smart was saying that people have approached her for years about writing a book about this. And she's like, why do you write a book that doesn't have an ending? Why would you put out a Damn, book? Damn, I could cry again. <laughs> yeah. That fucked me up when wait, you said that. Wait until Kristen is found and then let somebody write a book about it. Like, let, wait until Kristen is found and let somebody make a lifetime movie about it. But right now, all it is is mystery, which I get how that's appealing to people. But I kind of feel like the story has been told as completely as it could be told here, here, without knowing everything here, here's that happened. Here's why. I think here's why. Because they know that they could have a sequel to this. Right. There is an additional story. There's an additional... Uh, con- like this is continuous. If they get now, get it, latch onto it now, then right. they have more opportunity for episodic things, more opportunity for headlines, clickbait, and all of this. Yeah. So, and I, that, that's I, something I'm very much trying to stay out of. Okay. I understand that people want to do that. I want to stay out of it. I like, I, I did my best to tell this story with integrity and with a way that the family was comfortable with, but that also pushed back at law enforcement. Like, Hey, you guys messed up here. You messed up here. You messed up here. There were so many mistakes made along the way that when you look at them from a distance, it's unbelievable. And there had been one guy locally had attempted to make a newspaper about it. That was sort of divisive. Some people hated his style. Some people loved it. And then you had Dennis who moved across the country to tell this story um, and to, to kind of push back at the Flores family was his main goal. Uh-huh. And then to talk about why that backyard needs to be dug up, why Paul's mom's backyard needs to be looked at. That was his mission. And that's still very much his mission. And so they did it in their way. And I tried to step in and do it in my way. And that's kind of, I, I think I did the best job I could do with what I had at the time. And until I know more, there's no reason for me to keep doing it. I didn't, I didn't do this to become a true crime podcaster. I didn't do this to be the guy. I have no interest in that. I'm like, I'm, did you see the speech that I gave at the chamber of commerce? It was on, uh, Facebook. Like people were sharing it a lot for a little while there. Yeah. Um, they asked me to speak at, I think they call it good morning, San Luis Obispo. I believe so. And, um, they asked me to speak last. They started telling me as I was, uh, waiting in line to get in. They were like, everybody is here to see you. You're like the people took off. Yeah. People took off work to come see you and it put a lot of pressure on me. So I didn't know what I was going to say. And they said, you have five minutes deadline. Like you, you can't talk for more than five minutes. And so I wrote out what I wanted to say. And the very first thing I said when I got on stage was my name is Chris Lambert. I'm a singer songwriter. Like, to me, yeah. that was hilarious. Like that's that that's <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I got to talk to him about being a comedian because he <laughs> opened strong like that. That was uh-huh. great. <laughs> and I, the weird thing too is I got laugh breaks. Like people laughed at the things I was saying because I was I was being a little that, light about yeah, it. Yeah, all the tension of waiting yeah. for this dude to say things and it's <laughs> going to be serious. He better not. F- you know, <laughs> pinch my titties too hard with it. I better get some freaking tension release here. So your, your commentary is probably like, 
you're not an unfunny person. You know what I mean? So, uh, but that was to me to open it that way. I'm a singer songwriter was a little bit self deprecating where it's like, I, it makes no sense that I'm here. I write songs. That's what I do. I, I tried this thing and it had this impact and people are talking about it. There's, there's going to be a day when you being so humble like that is going to cross over into like almost a disingenuous humility because you're going to be bigger than that. Like Mm -hmm. just by default, like whether it's up to you or up to media or up to just like this whole uh, image of it. Mm -hmm. um, One of these days that joke's not going to work, so (laughs) to speak, you know what I mean? Because everyone's going to be like, yeah, okay, sure. You know, (laughs) like Henry Rollins is always talking about like, oh, I'm just some big dumb idiot grump uh, with no sex life. And it's like, okay, yeah, but you're also like a millionaire (laughs) and famous and we bought tickets to see you like, and there's nothing worse too than seeing somebody try to be funny and, and self deprecating when their life is so much better than yours. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I'm in a position where it's like, if you saw where I produced this podcast, like it's a dining room table. It's literally a dining room table covered in papers. And that's where I did all of it. And people kept people who wanted to interview me, like the news wanted to come over and they're like, can we film you in your recording studio? I don't have, (laughs) I don't have a recording studio. I mean, I, this was a completely homemade project and you would think less of me if you saw where I did it, or maybe you'd come see it and go, wow, he had only this going for him and he still managed to get this kind of traction. It's so much more romantic when you see like (laughs) the real situation and like there's a realness to it. And I think that's something that, uh, really transcended really came across nicely is, uh, your integrity and just the whole, um, you, you're just so genuine. Mm. There was a real sincerity and you could tell you're, you really care and you're really interested. And like you, like you said, you took your time, crafted this really well done podcast, no matter what other podcast reviewers say, <laughs> those stupid fucks. Um, so I mean, damn dude, like, I don't know. I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah, I'm. You know, you started like, somewhere really, yeah, really r- nice, romantic, and it's like this is the thing. Like stories start start in. Yeah, like it really. Uh, I'm just like it's important for me to. It's like let's not forget where I came from. It's like it's still important to highlight. I am still a songwriter, and this is okay. something I did. And yes, it gained a lot of traction, and I'm really glad that there was some something that came out of it. And I'm glad with like the way that it's moving forward and I'm sitting on the sidelines prepared to do more if I need to. But right now I'm excited to make music again. That's yeah. kind of what I'm looking forward to. I'm excited for you to make music again. Just <laughs> I've already, so I started, I have almost, uh, I have 10 songs done for a new album nice. that I've Beautiful. started working on since this lockdown thing. Oh, wow. Um, that is where I'm at right now is I want to make music again and there's so many opportunities for there's I've had talent agents who really pushy have reached out to me. Some of the biggest podcasters have reached out and said they want to put out my podcast on their podcast the label, network, essentially. Yeah. yeah, which is cool of them. But they're, I'm very finicky with like, I'm not sure if this is the right time. There's and I'm not no, sure what their no, motivation is. There would be is. nothing worse than your podcast to get interrupted by a uh, blue shoes. Yeah. You know, yeah. or something. I hate that. Just, and I don't want to go that route, but at the same time, 
there's a part of me, like a pragmatic part of me, that's like, it was a little foolish of me to not take advantage of the opportunity to make money off of this when the uh, the amount of money I could have made for yeah. the amount of attention that it got is not negligible. It's like, mm-hmm. it's money that could have been put into my future. It's like future kids' college money kind of okay. money. It was stupid in a way, but I stand by it and I would do it again the same way tomorrow. Okay. It, I, I think that what it, what it would have taken away from the podcast is not something that you can buy. You know what I mean? I, I do. It, I get that I could have made a living off of this or that I could have launched a career as a podcaster who does things like this and advertises and just puts out bonus episodes. And no one's it's saying more, you still can't do that. Right. Maybe this Down isn't the, the road, place to do it. Yeah. But, but I think there's something to it that I went through it and I can look back and go, yeah, probably a mistake not to use the opportunity, but I'd still do it that way again. That means that Good. the benefit of having done it the way that I did feels better for me than it would to have made money off of this. There would be a part of me that felt weird about making money off of this. I did. People did donate. I will like, there's a lot of push for me to do a GoFundMe and I didn't want to do it. So Dennis Mann, who was the other Kristen smart activist, um, who started the Facebook group and stuff, he started his own GoFundMe for me and then started transferring me the money, which was very nice of him. And then people asked me to do a PayPal and people asked me to do a Venmo. And so I set all those things up, but I've never asked for them. I've never put an ad in the podcast saying, here's how to donate to me. It's just a tab I added to my website. Like if you want to donate, you can. And there's people who really, really, they, they feel good about donating to something that they feel like was a good cause. They're like, I like that you did this. I like the attention you got for this case and the way that you handled it. Mm-hmm. And I want to give money to you. And so even if you're not asking for it, please let me find a way to, to it's the best they can do. It's like what they feel like they can do. You it's very did endearing. this and looked into it and I want to help fund that, yeah. which is really sweet of them. And it's something that, uh, has really helped. I mean, it's, they've essentially donated back to me the amount of money that I would have made by keeping my job that whole time. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I never quit my job to do this in the first place. I mean, shit, which is super cool. Breaking evens like best case, like best worst case scenario. Yeah. (laughs) And so I don't know. I would have, I I would have respected either decision, whether it was something where you would have embraced, uh, getting, more, uh, legitimate business wise, or just like you did it the way you did it. Right. Really independent and very, you know, that's great. I, I, I really admire yeah. right th- now that you best had that place, integrity. Yeah. The best place for me to be right now is completely independent. And so I don't want to sign with a network. I mm-hmm. don't want to do a TV series and I don't want to talk to the news or, or these TV shows until it's appropriate. And the family agrees that it's appropriate. And then I'm all there for it. I'm happy to do whatever I can, but it's not the wisest decision right now. And so I'm just trying to play it. The, correctly. I'm trying to yeah. follow through and do things with integrity and do things the way they should be done without any, and I say this without any of that false humility. Like we're talking uh-huh. about when I say I'm a singer songwriter, I'm being serious. Like yes. I'm, I'm up here. The, the funny part about it is that for that good morning, San Luis Obispo thing, it's, it's leaders like city leaders in suits. Everybody's wearing a tie. Like everybody is higher up the food chain than I am. Mm -hmm. And so for me to be on that stage and them to be like excited for what I'm going to say, it's like, let's not, let's not forget. I am a singer songwriter and that's not why you invited me here today. 
Yeah, I'm not here to talk about my music, even though I've doing, been doing that for more than half of my life. I'm here to talk about this weird risk that I took that by some fluke ended up being something you're interested in having me be a guest speaker for. It's great. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to do it, but I'm not, you know, basically I tried to turn the message into a positive, which was you could be doing this too. It, like if I could do this, like I'm the least qualified person in this room to do anything like this. And I did it. So you try something, you know, I, I'm ready to get back to songwriting. Uh, but, but I'm not going to neglect that I tried a thing and it worked out and things happened because of it. Yes, that's wonderful. I'm not taking it for granted, but I also don't want to act like there are other podcasters who have gotten involved with, a an unsolved crime uh-huh. and the crime has been either pushed forward or resolved in some way that they then tried to take full credit for. And it, there's nothing cringier to me than that's, like that's hearing cheap. a guy introduce himself as the guy whose podcast solved the crime. And it's like, well, you're neglecting all of the years of police work. You're neglecting the fact that in your podcast, you weren't even on the same path to the suspect who eventually turned you're just, himself you're in. You're just one ingredient in the big stew. Right. And that's very much how I want to, when when this is resolved, people are like, you should get the reward money. No, I shouldn't. The reward money is is specifically set aside for people who come forward with information about what happened to her and where her remains are located. And so, yes, if I find out where she is and that leads to her being found, then yeah, that's... But I don't want the reward money just because I raised a lot of hell and got a lot of people talking about it. I'm glad I did that, but I'm very much... Th- that I think I did what I can do as for right now until I learn more until I can move forward with more. I think I did what I can do and it's time for me to write songs again. Cause that's who I really am, you know? And it, who's to say that I won't have, I won't take a break from caffeine for a month, have one Vietnamese coffee and come up with a completely different idea for a new project that has nothing to do with true crime. It has nothing to do with podcasting that won't be some new venture that I try. That's how I am. I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about that because I, yeah. I just listened to your last week's episode with Kylie uh-huh. and it struck me how you and I have, uh, we're, we're very lucky to be in a position where our girlfriends are very supportive of the things that we want to try to do. Oh, I know. And I kind of heard Kylie, that coming from Kylie and thinking that's something that I really appreciate in my relationship with Allie that I can't, I mean, I don't talk about a lot because there's not an opportunity for me to reflect on that, Mm -hmm. but being in a position where I can, she got into a relationship with a like local singer songwriter. That's what I played at coffee shops. That was like the, the extent (laughs) of what I did. And then in the time she's been with me, I've put out 11 albums and, uh, tried all these weird things where it's like, I want to start an interview podcast and have people in our house every week. And I did it and she put up with it, but not just put up with it. She was very excited for it and, and promoted it. And then she got this idea to do a magazine and I was excited for it and helped with it and was a small part of that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I want to try to solve this missing person, like this crime that happened locally. Uh I know that you didn't think this is what you were signing up for when you started dating me. You thought I just was going to play in coffee shops and I don't know what you thought our future was going to be like, but it certainly didn't include this. And yet I did it. And now we've got, 
you know, news people knocking at she our door. She saw and people something. Who are, she took a gamble or she's just, you know, right. sheer dumb luck. Uh, <laughs> but to not have somebody who is constantly trying to talk you out of doing those things where it's like, I don't know if that's a smart idea for you to do that. What about this? And what if she's never, never, I've never heard that yeah. from my end. Yeah. But I, I think we're lucky in that. I think yeah. maybe we shouldn't take that for granted that, there's a lot of people who are in relationships that are not supportive of those weird, like, I'm going to try this thing now. And then they're just like, okay, how can I help? Like, cool. And every step along the way, there's never been a serious, like, we need to talk about this. You're getting yeah. a little crazy. Like the things that you're doing are way out there. They're unrealistic. Oh, well, maybe you're not pushing the envelope, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, no, I, and I can't wait to be that person for her. I mean, I try to be as much as I can, but the second she has something that she's ready to embrace, yeah. uh, I hope to be even a sliver as supportive as she's been to me. Too. So uh, I'm happy you can appreciate that. Um, ready for a break? Yeah, I need to stretch my yeah, leg. Yeah, all right. Be right back. Every, you said every fucking day is like the same? Yeah, it, since, since the lockdown started, since the, there's been so, every day from one day to the next just bleeds into it. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that separates one day from another. And so my memory is totally shot. If you ask me, mm -hmm. what were you doing last Tuesday or what were you doing this morning? And you put me on the spot, I draw a total blank because I think what it is, is that when you do something unique every day, you know yeah. what I mean? it stands out as a landmark in your mind and you're like, oh, right, the day that we went to this restaurant mm -hmm. and then we saw these people, that's the day that we were watching this movie. Or, but now it's just like, oh yeah, every single day is pretty much just a repeat of what happened the day before. We're, we're chipping away at things and I'm moving into new areas and stuff, but it's really, my memory is shot right now. Yeah? Yeah, sorry. That's okay. I My memory is really shot. That's one of my biggest insecurities with comedy is I can't remember anything on stage. Uh -huh. As soon as I'm up there, I for, I've forgotten everything. I've yeah. forgotten how to be funny. I forgot who I was. Um, if I wrote it down, I forgot why that made sense. Yeah. That's always was my number one problem yeah. with even attempting comedy or comedy in my mind was like, um, the second I go on stage, it's it's gone. Yeah, there's no brain. It's gone. I don't know what happened. It's like, oh, I'm up here with a microphone in my hand, and now jokes have to happen. Right. But I don't remember them. <laughs> I, I literally want to victimize myself where I'm like, but I can't. I can't remember anything. I can't be a comedian. <laughs> I seriously, it, it is one of my biggest fucking problems. A horrible memory when it yeah. comes to that. I don't know why. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of those comedians have worked out over the years a, a system where they write one trigger word down on their set list that will mm -hmm. remind them of what's funny yeah. or what the bit is about. But if you start to write out sentence by sentence what you're going to say or I need to get from here to here to here, mm -hmm. then you have to memorize it. And then it's like yeah. being in a play. And then, <sighs> then you have to deliver it as if you're not memorizing it and it's not mm -hmm. coming from your memory. And so I think the way they've developed to do that is each time you tell it in front of an audience, you tell it a little bit differently as yeah. long as you get to the punchline and eventually you'll start to memorize it by default. Mm -hmm. You won't even realize you're memorizing it. You just know how it works now. And so when you see that word, you're like, right, I know this 10 minute bit that I have about this and I know how it goes from one to another, but I've never written it down because if I did, it would sound like I was reciting. It, it does because I have things that I wrote, like my last set 
went much better than the immediate one immediately before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just written bullet points down and just maybe a couple sentences out. Yeah. But the one that I wrote the most shit at for, I, I, I've, you know, I'm still new. I still have my notebook right up there on, yeah. on the stool with me. And it's fucking embarrassing because <laughs> it's like, oh, I just said exactly how I wrote it down. But then it sounded like I just read something off a piece of paper that right. I just wrote down. Yeah. That wasn't funny. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah. But I'm so interested in, in to, to know how certain comedians write. Like what my favorite, one of my favorite fucking parts of the whole comedian documentary was Orny Adams showing all those notebooks. Yeah. The file cabinets. Dude, with- I was like, oh, I'm not writing enough. Yeah. Like I, I thought for sure. I was like, mm, I have things here, 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 and here. Yeah. Um, Damn, he had, yeah file cabinets of, and he has oh the different folders where he's like, like oh topics, here's a joke yeah. on here's my new jokes here's religion here's Jews it's just like oh you have all these different ones you can just mix around and like he's like oh if I need one and I was like fuck dude a filing system <laughs> I don't know there's some something that makes me so fucking horny about organization <laughs> yeah so I love the art the craft yeah. the way people are doing it I don't know how Louis writes. I would love to know either. how Louis writes. Does yeah. he do bullet points? Does he ma- Burr? He doesn't write things down. He just memorizes it. But recently I was listening to Burr's podcast, Monday morning podcast. And he's like, Oh, I don't even know what I wrote down here. And he writes bullet points for his podcast. And I was like, Oh, I do that too. Thank God <laughs> I'm on some yeah. <laughs> semblance of the same track. Right. So that was a big deal. But then like Seinfeld will take legal pants. Yeah. Write the whole joke out and memorize it and do it perfect yeah and he does it really well and he does it like a desk job from what i understand he does like a nine to five every weekday i'm gonna sit down and write jokes which is the responsible way to be but i think it only works for some people that there's a a lot of comedians that would sound stale if they did it that way i I had to write shit on my wrist in walmart (laughs) because i was like fuck i can't touch my phone because i'm wearing gloves and i'm touching other things Uh but i'm like i can get away with the pen that's fine. I can get the pen. And then I had to write shit down on my wrist. And it's literally, I don't, I don't even know what it says, but those jokes are gone. Those <laughs> jokes are fucking gone. Mm. But I'm like, I have to write it down immediately because yeah. when the moment I sit, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, <laughs> the moment I sit down in front of a friggin' laptop, yeah, all creativity and all interest in comedy goes gone. It's got, it's like, goes, nope, this is boring now. You've yeah. ruined it. Right. You ruined what you like about comedy. And I'm like, but no, I want to be like this. I want to be like a, a fucking writer. I want to have like the coffee and the cigarette ashtray filled with t- the day's work and yeah. want to fucking just be hunched over and, and just get it out and bleed on the fucking thing. Whatever Bukowski's twat ass said. <sighs> and we talked about, I think last time I was on, we talked about Stephen King on writing. It's literally right here. I, I've i been, I, yeah. <laughs> I always have it within arm's reach of me uh, because, yeah. Yeah. You know why. Yeah. I'm a very routine, like I get excited by routine mm-hmm. until I burn myself out on it and then I need to take a break from it, which is why I wrote the last songs for my last album at like the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, and then started the Kristen Smart podcast and have been doing that for a year and a half, almost two years now. And so like a month ago when it was finally like, okay, they executed search warrants, like things are going well, they're, they're working and I can sort of relax a little bit. And also we're mandatory, like supposed to stay home. We're locked in. All of a sudden I was like, oh my God, the idea of writing music again sounds 
like something I miss doing and the routine of sitting down at a desk, keeping your ass in the chair and making sure you do it every single day is how I started writing songs again. So now I've got a full album's worth of songs that I think are pretty good that I can make better in the next couple of weeks by workshopping them. Fine tuning. Right. And I'm doing a whole new system for that, that I've been perfecting each time I do an album, I do it a little differently. When I did my last album, it was the first time that I didn't record demos. I played the songs every day on acoustic guitar and then I put the guitar away and I picked them up the next day and I kept doing that. And what that did is it allowed the songs to change shape over time. Because if you record a demo and you keep listening to the demo, you start to fall in love with the way that that demo was structured Uh and you don't allow the song to change. But if you pick up a guitar and play it from scratch, kind of like working out a bit in front of an audience, it changes organically. And by the time I actually put it down on tape, it was a different structure. You know what I mean? Yes, dude. There's nothing I, I love more than seeing a band live and knowing a song they're playing and it sounds different. Yeah. It's like, I know this is the song. I recognize those chords and those chords and the chorus, but that verse is in the wrong spot. They, they skipped some, the some whole people intro. people hate that. When people see a band live, they don't like that. But when it, I was a kid, no, fuck no, I did not like that. When I saw Godsmack and they skipped <laughs> the intro to Voodoo, I was very disappointed. But now when I see bands it, like, and they just... Oh, they don't get, they don't have sound bites like yeah. in the, on the album. They have to do, go straight into chords. I'm like, oh shit. And then it sounds different or like, because musicians just like comedians will get so sick and tired of their material yeah. that they have to grow out of it just for themselves, yeah. just as artists. And that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. That's, so that's what my, makes me, my writing hack with the last album was how about you work out all the kinks before you put it on tape or show it to anybody so that by the time it makes it onto an album, you already love the version it's become because you started with this really rigid idea and you allowed it to change. And now you recorded the version that you consider the definitive one. Mm -hmm. And that's how you introduce it to people with this album that I'm working on now. I've taken it a step further. Mm -hmm. So now what I'm doing is I'm recording demos, but I'm recording a series of demos. So, I, uh, the way that I've been working, I've color coded separate demos. Like, so I've recorded an entire version of the album that is just the purest, most raw. Like these are the day I wrote them. And here's like, I could give it to you as a CD and you could listen to it. Yeah. But what I'm going to do now is re-record the entire album with a different set of rules for myself where the the set of rules for myself in the next iteration might be you can only use acoustic instruments on this one. The songs have to be at like a certain length or there's rules mm-hmm. to it. And then once uh. I record that, I'm going to set that one aside and I'm going to do another one where now the rules are you have to mess everything up that you just did on the last demo. Everything that like, if it was a three minute folk song, you're going to take the exact chords and everything and you're going to play it with only a single keyboard and you're going to turn it into like a six minute experimental jazz song using the same lyrics and the same chords so that by the time I get to the final recorded version of the album that people will hear the songs have gone through these iterations and I know what I liked I know what I didn't like and they're going to come out on the other side completely different so that's how I've been keeping myself busy in quarantine is getting (laughs) back into the the organized routine of songwriting as something that I actually want to be doing and not something that I feel like I have to be doing or 
I spent so much, so much time doing an album every year. And this is the first time I've taken a two year break from doing that. And now it's like, Oh my God, I miss songwriting. That's something I know how to do. I am nauseous with interest. (laughs) The more you talked, uh the more I was like, Oh yeah, the color coding, the demos, (laughs) always changing the instrument. Oh fuck. I don't want to sound pretentious because there's, there's a line too to cross. Late. What are we, hour in? Too late. <laughs> there's handsome. a line to cross where if I tell you too much, I'm going to sound like an asshole. But what actually made me, what gave me that idea, I watched a documentary about this architect named Frank Gehry. And he's, I think he's in his 80s now. He's been around Th- for a long time. This will only sound pretentious to people who have no artistic <laughs> inclinations. I know exactly where you're going to go with this. You, you, like we're talking about Stephen King on writing, there's something about reading about an artist and how they craft things that even if you don't do the same kind of art they do, it just makes, it's infectious and it makes you want to make your own stuff. So I watched a documentary about this architect and he's talking about how he designs uh, buildings and stuff. And he starts out with these little cardboard models and he's showing the documentarian, like here's this like version one of this building, but here's version two and here's version three. And the guy's like, why do you make multiple versions? And he was like, because if I only make one version I fall in love with that. And then I just want the building to be a big version of that little model. If I make three or four separate versions of that building in model form, I don't fall in love with any one. It's fluid and it can change up until the moment it becomes the building. And I stopped it right there and grabbed my notebook. And I was like, that's how I'm making my next album. Damn. So it's what like, was the name of this documentary. It's called the sketches of Frank Gehry. Okay. And it's something that I had no interest in his architecture or anything except that he's an artist and him talking about creating art and something he's passionate about. It resonated with me in a completely Mm -hmm. different way. It, It just, it has nothing to do with buildings, but it was like, Oh my God, that's the demo process that I've been trying to work on over the years is how do you keep from writing a song and how do you keep from falling in love with the demo version and not just solidifying it and forcing yourself to do exactly what you came up with in the moment? How do I add in weird chords or how do Mm -hmm. I get to like these new places where I can do different things if I just write and then record all the time? And so the secret for me has been to just allow it to change over time, take your time with it, just like I did with the podcast and to get excited about it again, because I don't like, I don't like making music when I'm forcing myself to make music or I feel like I need to be doing it for any reason. I want to do it when it feels right. And like I said, I took such a long break away from it to do your own backyard that now songwriting feels like an old friend to me. It's something I really miss. I could read everything you said in an article and do the same thing you did with the Frank Gehry documentary. Yeah. That's uh, dude to be inspired by other artists like that. I, I know you made the comment about being pretentious, but like I said, there's no way that anyone with artistic inclinations can't find some sort of merit and value in what you're saying. Cause I, like I said, I know exactly where you're going with this. You're going to yeah. see something <laughs> and you're going to go, Oh, that makes me want to do the thing I like to do yeah. that way. And it's literally just, filling your toolbox right full of different tool like i may not always need this size wrench but one of these days this size wrench is going to be perfect for the tweaking i need on yeah. this craft and i think that's just like something oh, I've, oh, I've always it, taken influence you talking from, about it makes me want to go i'm sorry chris i gotta go right yeah, right now right. you know what i mean right uh, i've always taken influence from musicians who make music that i don't make you know what really? i mean like 
metal or something or jazz or, that has nothing to do with the, the style of music I make. Could you give me an example? Like, so, okay. So recently I've been listening to this album on repeat. Um, an artist named Esperanza Spalding. Okay. And she's a jazz artist and does this kind of experimental avant-garde jazz. She plays stand-up bass. And she did this album a couple years ago where she, her goal was to live stream the entire writing and recording process and to try to write and record the entire album from scratch with no material, kind of like Seinfeld going out on the road with no material and trying to workshop it to record the entire album in 77 hours with no breaks. So she started the clock at 77 hours and her band was like, okay, anybody got anything? And they had no riffs. They had nothing to go off of. And by the end of those 77 hours, they had to have a finished recorded album. So not only to write all the songs on the album, but to work them out, make them good, record them and clean them up, finish them and have them be done. And so even though the music on that album sounds nothing like music that I would make, the concept of it makes Mm -hmm. me want to, it's like, Oh my God, the excitement of coming up with material. It's almost more inspiring because it's easier to take it away from something because you know, there's no way someone's going to look at what you create and go, that's so derivative of Esperanza. You just made the, you just copied her album. (laughs) And I try hard to kind of stray away from writing material that my favorite comedians, it just sounds like something they're saying. Right. Just I'm just like, oh, clearly this is this is a perfect Doug Stanhope reincarnation. Yeah. Like that. That's not what I'm trying to do. Like I want to be funny in my own way. But I would love to know, like, oh, did you fold up pieces of paper and then or like the Dave Chappelle special, the the one before um Sticks and stones. Uh, yeah, yeah, the one right before Sticks and Stones. Yeah. Um, he was talking about how he just has like random punchlines he'll put in a fishbowl and he'll just like pull one out. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh my God, you can do that? <laughs> he can do that? I mean, he can do that. Yeah. I can't do that. But that's something to do. And yeah. I was like, you you can just, you can write jokes and like people are okay with it. And I'm like, of course they are. Why wouldn't they be okay? So trying to find my favorite thing right now, the thing I've found to be, the most helpful is whiteboards. Yeah. I love oh, whiteboards. Yeah. Yep. Cause it's like, it's right there or it's gone. Mm. It's almost, it's a perfect blend between the, um, digital like deleting concept. Cause it's like, I could erase this very swiftly. Yeah. But I'm also having an analog moment where I'm writing this down and it's coming out of the pen and I'm remembering and it's the marker. And it's just like, I can, I can so easily edit this. Or right. like erase word, switch. Oh, and the, my last set I did, I wrote the whole thing out on a whiteboard, and it was so cathartic. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, this works so much better. I felt like I actually wrote it out. I feel like this is what people should be doing, or like comedians talk about doing when they're writing in their own way. Yeah, I found it. I think like for right now, that's what I like to do. Whiteboards are my thing. I wrote this entire uh, little um, outline for you being my guest and like questions on here. And I was like, how am I going to do this? Like I have to prepare. It's like my friend coming over, yeah. but I also should be prepared. Right. That there's no way that I should do something just and expect it to be good because I didn't prepare whatsoever. I'm not no fucking genius. So I wrote it down and I feel yeah. quite comfortable with it. And I haven't even had to go to this yet. Yeah. That feels great. Right. Cause this has happened organically. Yeah. And it's like, I have the preparation. So now it's just like, this it's is all net. muscle. It's, it's a safety net. Yeah. But uh, what, when I laid out your own backyard, yeah. so I did six episodes and I had this whole arc for it. I did it with colored index cards on a cork 
board. And so I bought mm-hmm. a bulletin board and colored index cards uh, and laid out. So like yellow is for when I'm talking, like my narration. Purple is for when you're hearing a recorded interview that I did with somebody. Green is when you're hearing like a tape being played or a news report or something. Um, red is for pieces that are missing. Like I need to interview this lady, but she never picks up her phone mm-hmm. or we can't get together. So I would hold places with red cards and fill everything else in. Then I laid out each episode on this cork board and I could see like, okay, I'm going to start here. Then we jump back to here. We move through this chronologically. We move to this. That leads me into her interview. Then I go to this. I cut to this tape. I talk about this and then we end at this place. And then I could see with each episode, it's like, oh, I'm missing huge pieces in this one. Like, episode two is great, but episode three is missing all these parts and I need to make sure to fill those out. So each week I was, and like you're talking about being able to easily erase with index cards, you just pop the thumbtack out and throw it away and write on a new one. Hmm. And so I was changing and then you can move stuff around. It's like, I had this as like scene three, I'm going to move this to scene seven because I, that'll, then that leads me from here to here. And so being able to see stuff and move it around and have that tactile version of what the podcast is going to be kept it from feeling like I'm just sitting in front of a microphone talking about a thing. And instead it's like, no, I have to get a bridge from this interview to this interview. So what do I say that leads us from here to here? Or maybe they're in the wrong order. Maybe that's the right formula and right way to do it. I mean, you For me, it was storyboarded your episodes with yeah. fucking flashcards. But you know, but there's probably a yeah. lot of people who wouldn't do that. It wouldn't benefit them to do it that way, maybe. But I don't for know, me, I, it I sure got, helped. I got to look into flashcards because another comedian I really like, I found out he uses flashcards mm-hmm. and I did not. He's like, well, he's one of those people where I'm like, you're not a flashcards kind of <laughs> guy. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But he uses them. And I was like, fuck, maybe there's something to that. So there's just so many different like ways. I, I speaking of Orny Adams, um, his last special that came out in Showtime, the one that I got the fucking chance to see a, a chunk of mm-hmm. at the comedy store the first time I saw him. He, there's a point in the show and he gets sidetracked by some crowd work interaction and he's like, fuck, I forgot where I was. Yeah. And he goes to right off stage and he has right next to the curtain his whole set written out mm-hmm. in a flow chart. <laughs> and it like, here, it, it like, goes vertical and then horizontal and then like swoops and then like I don't know just something like quick like that yeah and I had never seen that yeah and I went oh my fucking god (laughs) I don't even care about comedy I care about this craft bullshit yeah don't I yeah and I'm a nerd for that kind of thing when I see bands in a recording studio my favorite thing is when they show the progress board on the wall so it has the track titles of all the songs and it has step by step like we've already recorded the bass we're missing the acoustic guitar we already have the lead guitar that's how I like to do things so when I see a band that's doing them like you're talking about you see a comedian doing a thing and you're like, oh my God, I'm not too far off from what the actual yeah. pros are doing. Mm-hmm. And well, so yeah. to follow that template, yeah. That, that's one of the things that I always had a problem with when I was playing in bands with people locally is I felt like the other people that I was in bands with always looked to other local bands for inspiration. They're like, those guys are doing this, so we should be doing that. Those guys mm-hmm. played this place, so we should play that place. And I was looking to like the cure and you too. It's like, what are they doing? Yeah. And can we I follow ra- that? I, I would rather look at people in a position that I want to be in yeah. than in a position that I'm right. not. Because oh, there were other know. local bands that it's like, we have a bigger crowd than they do already. I mean, I get that they're doing this and they've got a certain following, but 
why are we looking to them as like, why reach for that level when we could reach way farther and maybe not reach it, but at least we're trying to get there. And I felt like that was a big setback because I was always pushing for things that it's like, you know, this band does it that way, or, or I've seen people try this and they're like, yeah, but these guys that play at the same venues we do don't do it that way. And for me, that felt like that's going to hold us back. If we're looking to people who are at the same level or just above us, that's going to hold us back. We're never going to get beyond that. And that is one of the reasons I don't play in bands. Just, oh, I, I have a very different mindset than I would have to meet somebody who felt the same way I did. You need and other nerds then, like you. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that chemistry wouldn't work in a band to have two people like me. Maybe we would be at each other's throats all the time because we're trying to do the same things. In I, different I think ways. it would. I think it would because you got to imagine that um, an, uh, successful bands are enough like-minded people mm-hmm. that they kind of have some sort of semblance of craft. Right. Like there is an idea, like oh, we should absolutely do it this way, right? Or at least have some sort of similar structure. Um, I think it's possible. I mean, I don't know if you're looking for a band. But no, I'm definitely yeah, not. Definitely, definitely not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but th- there's a way to do that. Fuck it breaks my heart talking about all of this and then remembering none of this is in the near future to like perform. Why? Cause coronavirus. Oh, okay. That's yeah. what I mean. I mean yeah. like we can't just go out Friday night. Yeah. Find an open mic and do something. But this is affording you a lot of time to prepare for that so <sighs> that when we are able to do that, you're like, Oh man, I have everything ready to go because I've been practicing. I have nothing to show for it. <laughs> I've wrote, I've written maybe three jokes, mm-hmm. which sucks. Uh, you know what? My last set I did, it was mostly Corona jokes, uh-huh. but this is before like any quarantine or lockdown. Yeah. It was the first time I was in public and there was an absence in people. So I was like, yeah. hmm, there's a quite a lot of people not here. This is weird. Yeah. Cause it was like Friday, Saturday night, eight o'clock. Something's happening in a small town usually there's a crowd right. just by default. Cause they're like, Hey, we're just going to stop here before we go. What we want to do at the bar. Mm-hmm. And there was like no one there. I was like, Oh shit. Well, maybe this is why I went so well, right? Less pressure. There's less people here, but I fucking, I don't have any, I don't have much material. It's I, you know what I've been doing? Just making little one liner, little tweets. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, one of my favorite comedians right now, he's blowing up and he's actually open for Seinfeld a bunch uh mark normand oh yeah yeah do you like mark normand i have only heard his material years back i i know him i know who he is uh i would highly recommend his podcast with joe list called tuesdays with stories uh-huh. huge seinfeld fans they just make seinfeld references to them i'm i'm very uninformed when mm-hmm. it comes to the uninformed sorry <laughs> uninformed with the seinfeld show because i've never watched the whole show all the way through yeah so i'm just doing that now mm-hmm. but um these two fucking guys are mega fans and thankfully enough joe list would open for louis and now mark norman opens up for seinfeld but they're both big and they both have specials coming out this month too mm-hmm. so it's like really fucking cool. Cause they're like headliners, but they're not like mega stars like those two. Um, so you get a lot of jokes or, uh, excuse me, like a lot of stories from the road and a lot of cool things like that. But Mark Norman just writes joke. He's a joke writing machine period. Mm-hmm. Like whether anyone likes him or doesn't like him, he is writing multiple, multiple, multiple jokes. I used to just make Facebook posts. So I hope like, Oh, people will laugh at him. This is going to be funny. I didn't realize I was writing jokes. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that was a one liner. That was like a single joke 
that I made, I've said that so people could laugh at it in yeah. this format. He is an expert at fucking doing that. So I was just seeing him post every single fucking day, multiple, <laughs> multiple, multiple jokes. And I was like, every time I see a tweet of his, I stop what I'm doing and go, do I have a joke? Can I go write a joke? Is there something I could do a joke about? Like it has to happen like that. Super yeah. instantaneous. Like, so I've just been putting out little stupid throwaway jokes. We've on there. talked about this before. I don't know if it was on mic or not, but we've talked about, you know, the comedian, that comedian brain thing where when you see another comedian make a joke, you don't actually laugh at it. You go, that's funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like a common thing amongst comedians when they share jokes with each other or bits with each other. They don't say, they don't laugh. Mm -hmm. They say that's funny because they're looking at it in an analytical way and they're trying to piece together. How does that work? Right. True. You posted, you posted one the other day. You'll have to correct me on what the punchline was, but it was about, that seeing people driving around wearing their masks oh, yeah, when they're yeah, alone yeah, in their yeah, car. Yeah. And you said, do you wear a condom? What yeah. was it? Oh, I was like seeing people drive with masks on is like flirting with a condom on. Right. And I, my immediate thought was that's funny. And then I try to punch it up and it's like, you know, what would be funnier to me What is seeing people drive around with masks on is like, like wearing a mask, driving your car. Do you drive around with a condom on? <laughs> like it, to you repeat it, how you said it. Seeing people dri- driving with masks on is like flirting with a condom on. Right. And and my immediate thought mm-hmm. is it's funnier to me if you subvert where you think it's going <laughs> instead of the condom being attached to flirting, yeah. if the, you're also wearing the condom while driving. So okay. it's like driving with a mask on okay. is like having a condom on. Well, yeah. see, I'm getting it wrong, but it's like- Seeing someone drive yeah. with a mask on is like driving with a yeah. condom on. Wearing a mask while you're driving is like wearing a condom while you're driving. You know what I mean? Because yeah. then you repeat the exact yeah. same thing. I like that's that not too. where you expect it to go. I like that and too because so, it, it's like a non it's like not a non sequitur, but it's funny. I like that mentality. Yeah. And so that's that's how I look at other people's jokes. When I see somebody who is writing bits, my my mind immediately goes to I want to figure out why that bit works and I want to try to figure out how it could be improved upon, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily mean it's universally funnier to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if I were making that joke, the joke would be instead of wearing a condom while flirting, it's like wearing a condom and you think I'm going to say flirting, but it's like, well, mm-hmm. driving, just like wearing a mask that's, while that's driving, funny. it makes like no that. sense. And so I don't know, but that's, that's sort good. of, I think we've talked about that before where comedians looking at other comedians bits, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm a comedian, but that's, I'm not I think that not. way. Yeah. I think that way. Yeah. You, you have um, a comics brain. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is, sometimes why it's difficult for me to do an interview about this like missing persons case in this thing I did <sighs> and try to be taken seriously when my default is to be funny about things. <sighs> and and it, so there's only so far you can go. I think I've been lucky so far in doing like that, that talk that I did yeah. with the chamber of commerce, being able to play with that line of, Hey, I'm here, but I'm not who you think I am. I'm yeah. not the guy you think I am. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest here. Um, I think I, I said, I'm a singer songwriter and there was like a pause and I said, you can probably tell that by looking at me yeah. and everybody laughed at that. And it's like, I'm trying to be self-deprecating it, and it, I'm trying to keep it, this like funny. It's funny. I watched that far and I went, that's funny. And then I stopped it because <laughs> uh-huh. I didn't want to ruin what I liked about it. Cause I was like, this is going to go somewhere serious. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to resent that he was funny in it. Yeah. So I was like, that's funny. <laughs> I got to talk to him about that. Yeah. He should be a comedian. I, I like, if I remember correct, I, I made a joke about my mom too, about, yeah. 
I was talking about all the places the podcast has charted now. It's like it was number two in Australia. It was number four in Thailand. Mm -hmm. It was like in all these places. And I kind of like stopped because it's like, I'm not going to read all of these. And I was like, you can ask my mom if you want the full list. Because like my mom (laughs) is paying way closer attention to that than I am. My mom for a long time was sending me reviews that I didn't want to read. She's sending me like, do you know how far ahead in the charts you are in this country? And it's like, mom, that's making me ill to think about. (laughs) It's so much pressure to think about what people are saying about me and what countries are listening to me but she's looking at it as like a proud mom like look what you did like people are paying attention across the world and I'm like yeah mom I'm so scared of that that's not I'm not excited about that I'm terrified by that but do you do do you use Libsyn for that Mm -hmm. oh my god did you do you know how far they can break down where you're getting your downloads oh yeah I had no idea I just found out recently that I do pretty well in LA. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm like, what the fuck? That's yeah. where all the downloads are coming from. Mine like is they big break in it down the Bay to area. Counties. Yeah. Yeah. Bay area. Huge in the Bay area. Yeah. Thanks Joel. Which was cool. I have friends who live in the Bay area mm-hmm. who like all of their friends at work were listening. They're like, you have, you have to listen to this podcast. And they were like, we know that guy. He's yeah. like a friend of ours. That's funny. And yeah, it's weird. But the places that I that it did well in were shocking sometimes where it's other countries that I wouldn't expect. It was really big in Scotland or some really? uh, somewhere in the UK. Um but somebody at, at one point who was interviewing me, maybe, maybe like uh KSBY or something, was asking for a list of like where has it charted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you want the full list? It's like 166 countries, I think. That was the full list. Nearly half of all countries. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know why. I don't know why it did well in other countries or especially ones that don't speak English primarily. I didn't think it would chart in places like that. Well, you've got to imagine there's people, English speaking people in a lot of countries in yeah. the world. And I think other countries are more responsible than we are about being bilingual and keeping up on that stuff. Oh, but yeah, you would dude. never see a German podcast that was all in German charting in the United States. Not at all. Fuck no. It'd have to be about David Hasselhoff exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um I was gonna I was gonna say, yeah, India is a surprising place. Yeah. Where, where mine I don't do well in downloads, period, but I mean like for what I do. The fact that it pops up at all. Yeah. It pops up <laughs> like, double digits in India. That's yeah. pretty cool. Thank you, India. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if there's like some Americans, but there's also a billion people there. So I'm like, that's pretty good. I got point zero 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 one eight of all people <laughs> listening over there. <laughs> that math's right, by the way. Go check it. <laughs> oh, man. Fuck. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have to piss again. This is like four times since I've been here. Dude, I know. I drank so much like liquid. I'm a horrible. You know what? It was the energy drink. We were talking about energy drinks. Mm-hmm. It's that shit. There's so much like taurine and B12 and. Do you remember uh, the rumor that taurine is bull piss? Well, the, the, I, so well, the, you can get it from bull cum and that's where Red, really? Red Bull like rumor was like, oh, it's you're drinking bulges and it's like makes me feel great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So absolutely. Like you can get that from bull testicles apparently, but mm. you can also uh, get it from other things, but I don't care. Do you know what um, fig Newtons are from? No figs. Well, no beaver asshole. What? I'm not kidding. We'll look at it. Up. I got to take okay, a piss. We'll look it up. We're going to come back. Yeah, we're going to Snopes this. I swear to God. Because one of my teachers told me about it in high school, that bitch. 
so maybe it's not entirely true about the beaver anuses. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to revert back to these uh, my notes here, my beautiful cool. whiteboard notes. But if you want to talk about comedians or craft or anything like that at any point and stop everything I'm talking about, by all means do that. Because I do like that. I love that. Don't interrupt. That's so hurtful. Um, Do you you, um, follow any of the fucking like Theo Vaughn, Chris D'Elia, Brandon Shaw podcast or anything like that? No, I don't listen to any podcasts, but... uh, I, I know who they all are. Yeah. I, I watch clips like YouTube clips. That, that's, pulled from, that's mainly yeah. what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Cause there's uh this moment when Brian Callen interrupts Chris D'Elia when he's mm-hmm. telling a story and he has the antidote to everyone interrupting. It is the most glorious thing. I wish <laughs> I could, I I'm not going to do it any justice, mm-hmm. but Chris D'Elia is telling a story, saying something. Brian interrupts. And Dalia just goes, oops, <laughs> just oops. <laughs> I just clipped the mic so hard right there, but fucking <laughs> just, oh, <laughs> just <laughs> he knows he fucked up immediately. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, but that <laughs> could you imagine next time someone interrupts, you just go oops <laughs> in their ear yeah. like, oops, your sentence <laughs> collided with the middle of mine, yeah. bitch. <laughs> So I've been dying to try that. Go look it up, folks. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask, how have you kept yourself busy and entertained during the whole lockdown? You know, I started making a list the other day because I want to remember this like in the future. Yeah. And uh, so I have a list on my computer called things that kept me sane during COVID-19. So cute. So we started with watching every Adam Sandler film. Oh, we, so we, you did the Joe Rogan route. Did he do that? He did. He's been posting about him. Um, oh, yeah. I think I saw one of his tweets and I showed Allie like, look, he's done the same thing we're doing. Well, because he had posted about Don't Mess with the Zohan. And yeah. I think that's an underrated movie. Yeah. That's a really funny movie. <laughs> as far as Adam Sandler's good or bad movies go, yeah. that's more that's, in the ba- good so side. So we started this because somebody, it was like last year, somebody put out an article where they ranked every Adam Sandler film from best to worst. Yeah. And it, was kind, it wasn't controversial. That topic is never controversial, but mm-hmm. it was not what you would think it would be. And they argued that the best Adam Sandler movie was click oh and i was like i would never put that in my top five even but in reading the blurbs about each movie it was like there's so many adam sandler movies i haven't watched because just seeing the trailer i was like that looks terrible and everybody talks about how bad it was starting with jack and jill Mm -hmm. so we started making our way through them we got to jack and jill it's hilarious really it's so funny and it's so there it's such a I mean, it's not a brilliant film, but it doesn't need to be, right? It's like, he's not trying to win Oscars. He's making yeah, he's making good, Adam Sandler movies, yeah. and all of his best friends are in every one of his movies. So it becomes a punchline in itself when you're like, ah, it's the guy. It's he's that one guy. Back. Anytime Rob Schneider pops up, yeah, or anytime somebody the, the that you recognize, yeah. yeah. And so we've started watching all of them, and we've only got like three or four left. And yeah, my uh, the verdict is they're funnier than they get credit for being, yeah. and you have to you have to watch them with a grain of salt and mm-hmm. go, this is not somebody trying to win an Oscar or be the funniest or best movie ever made. It's a guy having a blast with his friends and it will make you laugh. Like there's no movie in his canon that won't make you laugh a few times. And so, yeah, they're, they're strongly underrated. I, you know what, what I feel is underrated. I think it's called that's my boy. 
Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. That was bizarre. There were a lot of them on the list where it's like, I did not see that yeah, I didn't even know those existed. The, yeah. yeah. There's a couple Netflix ones that I mm-hmm. swam under my radar here. There was one he did with David Spade. I can't remember the name now. The spy one? Yeah. That mm-hmm. one. I the watched FBI that. One. That wasn't the most terrible thing. Yeah. I was not, I just didn't have high hopes for a lot of them. That's so fair. therefore I couldn't be disappointed. And it's like, actually those were really funny. And there were several that we watched that was like, okay, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty I also, funny. I also can admire the production value in his fucking movies. Yeah. Cause he's almost like a billionaire. Yeah. He's loaded. Mm-hmm. He can make a high budget movie, not make any of the money back and be okay. Right. And then we have this beautiful averagely funny movie to look at right you know somewhat funny whatever i don't know yeah but i really can appreciate some adam sandler movies Mm -hmm. i really want to watch don't mess with the zohan again yeah because it's good it's good like for us to have a goal too it's like this is going to be boring and we're all going to be locked at home and so for us to like knock out one film at a time and be like hey we're actually getting stuff done even though it takes no effort i didn't even think about we printed them out too and we're like checking them actually scratching them off the list and so we're down to only the films that we've already seen uh-huh and uncut gems which we've been putting oh, off shit supposedly. i've never seen that i'm gonna pretty good rent that tonight or something yeah rent that <laughs> gonna gonna go to the video store gonna go to black but there's certain adam sandler movies that i've seen countless times that it's like we don't need to rewatch that but we're going to to be completist and like get mm-hmm. through this list so we've been putting those off towards the end like uh the wedding singer which is one of my favorite i've never seen it oh my gosh okay i i i've i've had the same reaction from everyone when i say that yeah. never seen the wedding singer okay what's your favorite probably that probably the wedding singer okay i will say billy madison for like just longevity I've loved Billy Madison since I was a little kid and I've grown to appreciate how bizarre and absurd it is. There's no movie like Billy Madison. There, the closest I've seen, we just recently watched Hot Rod with yeah. Andy Samberg, you know yeah. that one? Yeah. Had never seen that movie before and saw it within the last year and it was like, this is similar in tone to what Billy Madison was doing, which is subverting film structure entirely for the sake of just being bizarre, but not in that, like, like we saw Freddie got fingered. Yeah. You remember that one? Yeah. That one, it was like, yeah, that (laughs) one, it was like, okay, this feels like they're trying to piss people off with what they're doing. Uh But with Billy Madison, it's like, I don't know. I feel like this is just what they thought a movie was supposed to be. And by the next, I think that happy Gilmore came out the following year. It's more polished. Like they, they clearly know what they're doing now, but with Billy Madison, it stands the test of time for me as a movie that no matter what era you're watching it in, it's just an absurdly funny movie. But Wedding Singer, I feel like, is my favorite okay. Adam Sandler movie. I, it's just It has all of the things that an Adam Sandler movie should have, and it does it really well. Like he's bizarre and goofy mm-hmm. and he does that thing where he gets really angry and like screams yeah. in that Adam Sandler way. But it also has like the love story, which doesn't feel as forced as some later films do. Mm-hmm. It feels like it hit a good balance. Okay. okay. But also I just love the eighties. Fair enough. Um, did the wedding singer was, when did that come out? I think it was 98. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure if it came. Oh, that's right. He wasn't yeah. Adam Sandler till nineties, nineties. I'm thinking they came out in the 80s. It just takes place in the 80s. 
I'm not unaware of what the wedding singer. Yeah, is. it takes place in 1985, I think, Ugh, and so it's brutal, it's parodying brutal. the 80s with the like color palette and yeah. the music. Like mm-hmm. the music is ridiculous, and the clothing style and the hair, but it it does it in a very tasteful way. It's I don't know. I think it's good. I would love to watch it sometime because I think um, an artist's earlier albums are usually better typically yeah <laughs> movies yeah. too you know yeah it's I definitely feel, one of his better films like it doesn't feel generic and it doesn't feel canned yeah not contrived right gotcha <sighs> well there's something about billy madison and happy gilmore that depressed me really i don't know what it is uh-huh. they're both fucking hilarious you know what you know what one of the things is chris farley's dead <laughs> right. that fucking hurts yeah um so that scene always hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something because it's so embedded in like my childhood and like, I don't know if there was something that I was going on when I was watching these movies, but both of those movies, man, bum me out. Mm-hmm. The old lady, Mr. Mr. That. Oh my God. <laughs> I have a fucking existential crisis every time <laughs> she's on screen. Wow. And then the, the, fucking the scene in Billy Madison where there's like, was it the musical number? Oh yeah. That, oh my God, yeah. I want to die. Every time <laughs> that comes, I go, oh fuck, life is horrible. I don't know why. Yeah, you got to go to therapy for that. That's, oh, son of that a sounds bitch. deep. <laughs> I can be as loud as I want down here because my neighbors are assholes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they're assholes, but there's no noise I've made that has not been like trumped by them yeah like they are noisy motherfuckers there's just one guy next door he smokes weed every day um much like everyone else that lives around here mm. uh holla it's lompoc we have the most dispensaries per capita in the world wow um I, that's fake that's bullshit that's a fucking baloney stat i just made up but we have a lot he coughs every single day so badly that i think i'm hearing him die how old is he? He, I don't know. Cause he's black. <laughs> okay. I can't tell. Um, he could be 80 or 40 or 20. It all looks the same to me. Black don't crack. Holla. Okay. He goes <laughs> every single fucking day. Hmm. And at first it was like ridiculous. And I would like make fun of him in the garage. We'd both be in the garage He'd be doing it and I'd go, I'd be coughing because I'd be smoking weed and I'd do the same cough and then they'd like, everyone would get real quiet over there. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> got him. And now, no, it's just every fucking day, like down the whole alley in this apartment complex, mm. like every, like I don't know how there hasn't been like a note left on their front door. Like there's no, nothing I can do or like no, leave a note wise mm-hmm. that like they wouldn't be like, it's probably the fuckers next door. Right. Cause like they're getting the brunt of it. So I don't know. Excuse me. Okay. Well, um, Adam Sandler movies. That's a fucking gem. Yep. Uncut gems. Holla. Holla. We've been doing that. Uh, We've got the instant pot. The instant pot. That we've been (laughs) making stuff in. I have instant Uh, pot too. Allie made a cake in it, which is, I didn't even know could be done. She's been making like (laughs) soups. I don't, I don't know what an Instapot is. (laughs) Is it? I'm thinking an Instapot is like 
a nerdier crock pot. Yeah, oh, essentially. Damn. But it's got all these, I guess you can make yogurt in it, which I don't even know how that's done, but it's got a yogurt button. I thought yogurt was just like neglecting milk. Yeah, but I think you got to do it in a way that it doesn't ferment. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think you Yeah, because if you leave bring milk alone long bring... enough, it's going to get chunky. Yeah. I don't know, but there's all kinds of stuff you can do with it. So Allie's been looking up recipes and trying different things with it, and they've all been she pretty cool so far. She does not seem like the type of person to do that. Really? In no way would I ever accuse her <laughs> of baking. Really? Yeah. Oh, she's she's great at baking. Yeah, she grew up with a mom who does stuff like that. She's very, like, she grew up watching Martha Stewart living constantly, and... M- well, my mom, too, which is mm. why she went to jail. <laughs> But yeah, she loves to bake. She loves to make stuff. And uh, I don't know. She, Allie, I think probably the version of Allie that most people are familiar with is sort of like that, like really driven, like working. She She's always, when she's working, she goes into work mode. When she's at home, I was just telling somebody this the other day because they were saying, um, they shared one of those memes that's like, when you take a picture of your boyfriend and he always looks amazing and then he takes a picture of yeah. you and it's like that horrible <laughs> angle and stuff. And I replied and I was actually saying, try living with a photographer. Like my girlfriend is a professional photographer. I hate when she takes pictures of me. I don't like the way I look in photos, what? even when she's taking them. But okay. Allie doesn't like taking photos when she's off duty. That's <laughs> she's funny. like, she, she does it as a job and she loves to do it if she gets really, f- kind of like how I don't want to write a song about your aunt or something. It's yeah. like, hey, you're a songwriter. Could you write a song for my aunt's retirement party? No, no, I can't. I'm not that guy. There's some people You're not who a hired gun. Right. And yeah, she doesn't like to come home, especially when we go on vacations, she won't bring a camera with her. I'm like, please bring a camera. I, I want to remember fuck this. Fuck that, <laughs> dude. I love her for that. You know what I've been trying to do? Uh, it, it's hard because I have a girlfriend, but um, I, I've been trying to not take pictures of things I'm enjoying. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I had this beautiful day recently. We, we both took pictures. I almost didn't want to do it. But I also didn't want to ruin the moment. But like, don't take pictures. You'll kill my vibe by being a fuck. But um, I've just like, if I'm enjoying something, I just, I've just try. I try to convince myself, like, don't take a picture of it. Right. You'll always forget it. Yeah. Every time I'm like, I, I think since this, we all have cell phone cameras now, that that kinds of photos we're taking are very disposable. They don't really matter. And so I agree with you when it comes to like Instagram photos or Facebook photos, but when it comes to like printed photos that you're going to put in a shoebox and yeah. look at years later, yeah. that's one of the things I really enjoy about the, the, my childhood. We have photos of stuff, right? And there's huge gaps where we, people weren't taking photos that I mourn. It's like there's no photo of me from too. the time I was like seven until I was like twelve. I do too. It um I was very insecure with my weight growing up, uh-huh. so I refused to let anyone take photos of me. Yeah. And I have no idea who I was or what I looked like. And then sometimes one will like sneak past and I'll go, Why was I even why was I bothered yeah. by who that person is? I love this kid because right. of who I ended up becoming. Why was I so mad at him mm-hmm. through all these years? Photos have a weird uh, they have weird seams to them. Yeah. Like they're, they're, no one knows what a photo will mean until time can age it. Right. Until it can ferment like that milk in the <laughs> Instapot. 
into yogurt it fucking it'll mean a bit it'll mean a lot i get that there's a lot of pictures i guess when you you make the criteria of it's going to be a printed photo it's going to be in shoebox it's going to be in a photo album i'm gonna go back and look at this absolutely take photos right i was so afraid of losing what's on my phone at one point that i printed 400 photos and they're just like vertical like cell phone pictures and like selfies and dumb shit yeah but I was so scared of losing them and I haven't looked at them since I'm like, I still have them there on my phone. What's the problem? Right. But I'm glad I have those because if something happens on my phone. I don't have any of that. Yeah. That sucks. That I, scares I have, me. Like, hard drives that I keep stuff on like old photos of us where, so I've, I've got folders in a hard drive of our like first year together, our second year together, things mm-hmm. we did. She doesn't in the same way. Like her photos are like professional photos that she took. And then like, every once in a while we'll take a photo together at a concert or something. But for a while I was trying to document, it's like, this is stuff we want to show our kids someday, right? Let's like, look at Uh us when we first started dating, look at how young we were and that sort of thing. I like to document, like, I think that's my big thing in life is that I like to document whether it's conversations, whether it's my daily life and all of that. I, I like to keep a record of things. She's not as concerned with that. And it's probably because she's not as insecure as I am about losing memories or she grew up we've talked about this she's grown up in the same house her whole life until we moved in together so her parents still live in the house she came home to when she was a baby and so i said i i've moved probably 14 or 15 times in my life yeah it's it's a completely different way that we have of looking at the world my way is things get lost they're finite they're missing in your life where it's like that we i you posted this thing about the toy the other day and yeah, uh, yeah. I was showing you uh, or I sent you the little professor calculator. Yeah, that's right. The reason that I regard that toy so highly is because I played with it for a period of time and when we moved, it got left behind. So it it feels like something that's missing from my life where it's like I had that thing and then it was gone and I don't have it anymore. You know what I mean? And you don't have closure. I have so yeah. many things in life like that. There's specific toys, there's t-shirts, there's, I have an old tube TV that is no bigger than my laptop in screen size in my closet just because I grew up watching TV on it. And this Mm -hmm. is when I first found out that TV continues after you go to sleep. And this is where I found Adult Swim. This is where I'd watch Girls Gone Wild <laughs> when I was 11 years old and uh-huh. always had the... There's memes that are so fucking relatable. It's disturbing. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the, oh, uh, when you're watching the Girls Gone Wild commercial, but you have a Cartoon Network as the last channel and you click that button, I always <laughs> would set it to go cartoon boobies and then go boop. I'd test it. I'm like, just in case. And then the girls gone wild commercial would come on and be like, Oh my God. Yes. But God forbid someone comes in and I have to change it. Mm. Never happened. But like, that's such a real thing. And I have that TV to this day. It's in my fucking closet. I have the remote in a fucking box of sentimental things. Yeah. And it's like, I'm just keeping this. Like, I don't want to get rid of this ever. Right. I remember I can tell you like where the buttons are on that remote, the texture of the remote, why the volume down button is harder to work than the fucking volume up button type of thing. I would hate to miss that. I would hate to lose that. I don't know why I I moved seven or eight times growing up. It Mm. sucks. I'm fucking attached to things. Yeah. So I'll take pictures of random things too. 
I it I I, I thought there was something weird about about like when we hang out like when we're not taking pictures because mm-hmm. you you guys are like the only people I'm ever around that were not like oh phones out take a picture selfie Instagram yeah. doing something blah, 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 you know even to some extent mm-hmm. you know like you'll be on your phone fielding all these uh, <laughs> agents and networks and shit like that but like other than that like if I get on my phone I feel like an asshole yeah you know what I mean yeah and the only time I in am cognizant of my phone usage is when I'm having dinner somewhere with someone. If I'm sitting down to eat phone is out the window, gone off, not yeah. doing it. And I, I just do that out of respect for Anthony Bourdain. That's it. Like, I'm just like, that's the appropriate thing to do. Joe Rogan says, Anthony Bourdain does this. I found Anthony Bourdain through a comment Rogan made down an episode. Then I found out who Anthony Bourdain was and then it changed my life. And now I don't fucking have my phone out at dinner. Yeah. Or when I'm eating mm-hmm. <laughs> just a little. All right. Next question. folks. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, that hurt. Why did I even do? Uh, I don't know. Why'd you let me talk that long? <laughs> I feel like I stuck my foot in my mouth. All right. Chris Lambert. Have you watched any good comedy specials lately? And if you say Seinfeld, don't talk about it because I haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. Yeah. I didn't realize it came out yesterday um, or today. Gosh. I don't think we've watched that much recently. <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's so hurtful. We Yeah. We've taken a little break from that because we're doing other things and we get it. You're productive. We're trying. Uh, we did. We started Curb Your Enthusiasm from the beginning. Have you watched that? It's so hard to watch the old episodes. For really? Me. Just some of it's. Uh, why is it so? I don't know if it's dated. It feels more dated. Yeah, I think in a couple of years it's going to be perfect. Yeah. I can watch the first three seasons of Seinfeld mm-hmm. and go. I don't care if you're dated. I know you're old. Right. Curb Your Enthusiasm is just out of like oh they have like phones and cars but they still have like dsl but dial-up computers i'm like oh god you know we're not there yet it's still too gross there's there's something a little slow about it Uh but um one of the things i appreciate about it is he came off of seinfeld and started this show mm -hmm. and i think intentionally low production value as a result like i think he was trying to go as low production as he could and so it does feel like the cameras that are filming it sometimes are not even that professional yeah I don't mind that so much about it, but what I love about that show is it's cringe humor, Mm -hmm. but it puts him in these positions where he's the asshole Mm -hmm. and he says what he thinks that are all these things that we're all kind of thinking, but we're not allowed to say publicly where he's like, why is this the rule? Why do you have to do this? Who says that you have to do this? And I relate very strongly to that. I feel like, it's probably not pronounced when I'm in public because I'm very quiet and I keep to myself, but I always feel like a jerk when I'm in a group of people. I feel like I'm not doing socially the things that we're supposed to be doing. I feel like people are judging me. I feel like when I leave, I'm like, are they talking about me now? Are they saying like, oh, he didn't even say bye when he left? And did I do everything the right way? And so to see a guy be put in that position episode after episode where it's like, he's in this room full of people and he's messing it up again and again makes me feel more human. It's like, okay, at least we all feel this way. And so we've start we started it from the beginning and uh we're I think we're on season six now. Damn. So yeah. So that exact description of like he just says what he we're all thinking and he gets that exact description was I read that as a twelve year old. 
and was like, I got to fucking watch this show. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh-huh. This sounds like the exact show for me, which is proof <laughs> that I've always been a bit of a jerk my whole life. Just a bit <laughs> of a fucking crim- I don't know what the right word is for it because asshole is just too versatile. Mm-hmm. Need something more like defined, but yeah, just damn if I don't relate. So uh, you saying that makes me want to give it more of a yeah. chance. It's than also, I've ever I, don't, given it. I don't know that you could appreciate it in the same way when you're 12. It's something that as I get older, I relate to more strongly. It's also why I like the show Louie. That's um, the best. That's why. <laughs> when oh I watch Louie and he's in a position where he's making a jerk out of himself because he's not following proper protocol, how we're supposed to interact with each yeah. other. I'm like, thank you. Do we not all feel this way all the time? I mean, I always feel like the awkward person in a room, but the chances that everybody in the room agrees that I'm the awkward one are probably pretty low. They're, they're probably not even thinking about what I'm doing as much as they're worried about what they're doing. But when I see other people struggle through it and amplify it so much to where it's the entire episode is his life falling apart because he made this one mistake. It feels refreshing to me. There's nothing better than that. Like someone making the mistake for you, learning for you, saying the thing you wanted to say, and you just get to sit there and go, at least that wasn't me. Jesus Christ. (laughs) But in, in your head, you're like, Somewhere that was me. <laughs> that fucks me up. Those shows are perfect like that. And they do it all in such different ways that are so close that you can compare them, but they're totally different experiences. Like the Louie, Kirby Enthusiasm, and Seinfeld. Like they're different, definitely versions of each other yeah. in different ways. Mm-hmm. And it, the at least Seinfeld in some ways and Louie in a plethora of ways appeals to me as a comedian. Because if yeah. you're talking about comic. Right. Co- talking to other comics and oh my god and then they have the interludes with them on stage right my favorite parts that's amazing i want to know like dang like you wrote material just to put in the tv show yeah. as your material mm-hmm. that could have gone somewhere like that i was looking at uh seinfeld specials and i was like he has four specials mm-hmm. he has four he's been doing this <laughs> 40 50 years he has four specials uh-huh. there's Eliza Schlesinger has five on Netflix <laughs> right now, and the last two are good. <laughs> like, I'm fucking... Oh. Although, that was a beauty to watch. If mm. you watch, like, her first special and then to her fifth one, uh-huh. you can see, like, oh, comedians get better. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm I'm obviously a nobody, and not nearly as funny as anything on her first special, but I, I, I love that. I'm, I was trying not to shit on her because I like her, uh-huh. and I like her... Sp- comedy and shit yeah felt like i just did her dirty because she's a girl for no reason but that's not why <sighs> louie fucking do you watch horace and pete did you ever watch that show yeah mm-hmm. um thoughts because that show fucked me up yeah it's dark it's it heavy is. uh it took me two times all the way through before i really appreciated it the way it immediately I got what he was doing. Like it was one of the, I saw him announce it and I downloaded the first episode immediately and I watched it and was like, whoa, but I got it. Like I get what he's doing, Mm -hmm. but it's going to take some adjusting to because it's not funny for the most part. And it's very strange stylistically. It's like he filmed a play that was happening on a stage and it's, there's a lot of silence and there's a lot of gaps 
and there's a lot of like long shots. I think that it's like episode three or something where the woman is talking about seducing her like father-in-law. It's, Do you yeah, that that's one? like three or four. The entire episode yeah, is like a long. Yeah, 20 minutes of a shot on her face. It, which, God, I, I forgive me, I forget, forget her name, but what a performance. Yeah. This lady fucking has a monologue. 20 minutes of a 30-minute episode tells this amazing story completely compelling you don't know who she's talking to right you don't know what it, it is a masterpiece of a show that yeah. is a masterpiece of an episode the entire it ripped my heart in two twice yeah and it fucking and it's hilarious and there's parts you agree with and he has liza traeger in there and i hate her guts but i was still <laughs> like wow like this show's so good. I can appreciate her character's uh, action. Yeah. You know, the point of her character, the function of her character rather, excuse me. And that was a big deal. And <laughs> Mark Norman's in there. Stephen yeah. Wright is in there. Just all these <laughs> amazing comedians that are just like shoehorned in there. Kurt Metzger plays an asshole in every episode. Mm-hmm. Fucking bananas. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And inspiring in that way that I don't make TV shows, but seeing the way he did that makes me want to apply it to what I do and how I create one being to just be completely independent of a network and just, I'm going to film this show and I'm not going to tell anybody I'm doing it. I'm not going to sign with any network or take money from people. I'm going to fund it myself. I'm going to ask my friends to act in it. I'm going to like, didn't I think he approached Jessica Lang at like an award show and was wow. like, Hey, uh, he's like whispering in her ear. Do you, do you want to be in the show? But you can't tell anybody I'm filming it and sent people scripts, had them come to his house for script mm-hmm. reads. That is my dream. Like to do that in my own way yeah. and then to put it out and it doesn't really matter what people thought of it. I know there were a lot of people who wanted it to be funnier, who were disappointed by it. it who Watch Louie if you wanted it to be funnier. Right. You get just as much dark it's and risky, way more funny. And that's funny. what I appreciate about it. It's a huge risk for somebody in his position to take and he was willing to take it to grow artistically. It he felt t- like... took so many chances. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. there's I can't compare it to anything. Yeah. It felt like Cheers without a laugh track and without the jokes. Yeah. It's like it's set in a bar and it's almost exclusively in the bar or in his apartment upstairs. It's a Steinbeck novel. Yeah. With in, in, in the fucking cheers bar. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And it's it's slow paced. And I think he was writing each script weekly that, that he didn't write it all ahead of time. He wrote it as each week develops. So there's current jokes that were, they're joking about stuff that was happening in the news that week. And then it would come out at the end of the week. And some episodes were like 50 minutes long and some episodes were like 25 and it didn't matter because it wasn't airing on a network and to put it up on your website and just be like, Hey, if you're a fan of mine, pay to download this. And if you're not, don't bother. Or if it's not what you're looking for, that's the best way to do it. I can't believe uh, it makes me so happy to live in a world where I have people to look up to that make these choices and take these chances yeah. for all of these other people. To, that's going to be normal. It's going to be very, very normal for people to be like, hey, I created this thing completely independently, and if you support it, buy it off my website. Right. And people will have whole fucking, and I'm sure they do now, whole fucking livelihoods made that way. Yeah. It's amazing. And then the fact that, um, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say, but it's about Horace and Pete. Fuck, I lost it. I forgot what I was going to say. Shit. Anyways, 
Yeah. Damn it. I really had something and it fuck it. I've never just lost a load like that. About people being able to put out stuff on their own and normal. Oh, I was just going to say Horace and Pete is going to be looked back upon with great admiration. Like mm-hmm. you and I are talking about now, this is going to be like a legend status is going to be look <laughs> like this is going to be like a duck soup type thing. Like back yeah. like, Oh, they fucking, someone figured this out yeah and no one was giving it credit when it came out right it's going to age really well yeah i think you know <sighs> he doesn't make himself the point of the show right yeah it's a very ensemble cast and yeah casting alan alda as the like crotchety uncle i don't know if you know alan alda from like mash or like his, what he had done I, previously i mean he's a light-hearted calm yeah. like a funny he's guy not the person I, you would when cast. i when i wikied him i was like yeah. oh he's not <laughs> this piece of shit <laughs> and d- i don't know if you watched interviews but he was originally going to cast joe pesci and yeah part. i was gonna, i was going to bring that up that and was something just, i like, thought i had over you like yeah. oh did you know joe pesci was going to be in it <laughs> And just flat out turned him down and insulted him. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Did you hear him tell the story about going to his house and everything? I thought I did. I thought I thought I did. And I heard it sitting where you are now mm-hmm. on that couch. That's interesting. Yeah. Went to Joe Pesci's house. Okay. And Joe Pesci was like, who gave you my phone number? And like, it didn't want anything to do with it. He's like, I'm not doing your TV show. And Louis kept like yeah. pushing at him and he's like, I'm not going to do it. What's wrong with you? But they had like an inner interesting dynamic. And yeah. he said it, like some off the wall things that he ended up asking, can I use that in the show for the character? And he's like, I don't care what you do with it. So he wrote Joe Pesci's personality into uncle Pete, oh, Okay, but Joe Pesci refused to do it. He didn't want to be part of it, but See, he was, what I heard, it was a much more, um, <sighs> understanding between mm-hmm. them. Yeah, yeah. Where Joe was like, I'm no, not, he, I'm not going to do this, yeah. but I will help you with yeah. this type of thing. Exactly. But okay. he was kind of aggressive about it. He's like, I'm not going to be in this. I have no interest in doing this. I don't know who you are. I've never <laughs> just heard turn, of you just before. Straight up turned him down. Yeah. That's fine. But was cool about it at the same time. Like you do what you want with it. And there, there's a few monologues that I guess Joe Pesci went on rants to Louie and he's like, I'm going to write that into the character. And he gave him permission to do it. So I think they were on good terms, but yeah. he didn't want anything to do with the show. And there were a couple other parts like that. And yeah, it's really interesting. And I, but I get inspired by listening to the process of that kind of risk taking in art being like, here's a, a guy who's known for doing stand up comedy. That's his big thing. And he's going to try to do this thing that is not that and he's going to do it in his own way and he's earned his way there because he worked his way up to that level. Like if you right now or me were to make a TV show like that and put it on our website to download, we wouldn't sell thousands and thousands of downloads of it because people don't know who we are. So he had to work his way to that level in order to achieve the, the luxury of being able to put it out that way. It's true. So that's you, you kind of have what to I, play yeah. the game for a yeah, little while. You have to do. He had to put out some HBO specials and do things mm-hmm. their way and and write Pootie Tang. <laughs> and did you see Lucky Louie? Uh, I've only seen a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like a basic kind of sitcom mm-hmm. formula to work his way up to Louie, which was 
here's the budget and it's really super low, but it all goes to you. And we're not going to have notes. We're not going to view each episode. We have no say over guest stars or anything. You just turn in a finished show. Shot it himself, edited himself. That's the beauty of Louis is how much of it was really just Louis CK doing it. Yeah. I love that. It's a fucking masterpiece. There's just like Horace and Pete, there's episodes of that that break my heart. Yeah. And it's a long, it's long form. So there's a story. I, uh, it's so weird. Louis is an interesting one. The show itself, mm-hmm. FX. But Horace and Pete, I watched, I've never watched a show in the way I watched Horace and Pete mm-hmm. where I was almost afraid to watch the next episode yeah. because I didn't want to binge watch it and then have it be gone forever. Yeah. There's one season, I think maybe 10 episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all. Right. It's a masterpiece of a show. Um, I don't see anyone doing anything like it anytime soon, especially with the state of the world. So if you guys are interested, go on Hulu and watch it right now. It's on fucking Hulu, Horace and Pete's. And I watched it sitting two, like maybe like a foot away from my widescreen TV, just like (laughs) wide-eyed, like hands in my palms, like fucking just obliterated by this show. Yeah. It, I put my phone down to watch this show. Most people passively watch things, phone in their hand, watching it, looking at things, watching it, and it it gets divided. Your attention's divided. You only get you know a third of what the show actually is. Yeah. I tried to um, consume and absorb as much of the show as I possibly could, yeah. and I highly recommend everyone else do so. Or don't, so I'm cooler than you, and I have it <laughs> that I'm cooler, and I watch cool things, and you don't. You can always do that. I like that. Well, all right. You should check out some comedy specials lately is what I'm saying. There's some oh, good ones. Okay. Recommend five for me. Uh, Mark Maron's new one. I did watch that, I think. Okay. What's it called? I don't know. I, I um, think I watched his most recent one. Oh, it was like End Times Now, right? Yeah. Something, something like that. Like that yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Louis' new special. Just saw it. Yeah. That was as that's we we talked enough about louis let's keep going um burt kreischer tom segura and chris delia okay all had specials come out within a month of each other mm-hmm. and they all have a part of a joke that if you watch all three specials there's a joke uh-huh. so you Is get that intentional yes okay absolutely they have the the setup the meat of it and the punchline <laughs> and you have to, as a viewer have to figure out what it is. Yeah. Just watch them in order uh, from release order. So, mm. uh, Bert's Tom's and then Delia's. So did you see Bert Kreischer interview Adam Sandler? A couple no, weeks ago? no, because I've been hearing him talk about it on his fucking <laughs> podcast. Every dude, I don't want to watch it. Uh, he called it, <laughs> he called uncut gems, precious gems. <laughs> and then he called, he didn't say happy Madison. He said happy Madison instead of happy Gilmore. But the the funniest Madison. part about it though, is they're doing like a zoom call. Yeah. And so he's like standing in the back of the room with Whitney Cummings. And each time, <laughs> each time he has a question for Adam, he runs up to the computer screen, like a little kid. And he's like, Adam, Adam, oh. me and my kids are watching happy Madison together. It's the funniest movie. And then he runs back to the back of the room again. And he's shirtless the whole time too. Of like he always he is. is. Yeah. So it's, it was like the giddiness of a little kid and just trampling over this guy's legacy while trying to impress him. And then the next day, Adam Sandler tweeted out, like, I watched Burt Kreischer's special and he's a great guy. Yeah. Adam Sandler is like one of the nicest people oh. in comedy. 
and but it was so painful to watch. Oh Didn't know. And and then he went on. Him and Burr have a podcast called the Bill Burt podcast, uh-huh. yeah. and they share stories <laughs> about embarrassing themselves. And then Burr has one about Gary Shandling. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I need to hear that. Yeah. Um, I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll let you know which episode it is. But fuck, dude. Because <laughs> if anyone understands things more, if someone can carry themselves so coolly, like these things don't happen, but then immediately admit that those things happen to them, it's Bill Burr. Uh-huh. So yeah. yeah, they shared this experience. This is how I first heard about it because mm-hmm. I, I can't sit there and watch people on webcams. It bores me to tears. Yeah. I, it, I, I need to leave. I need to move around. I, I, have, I have a hard time sitting still if you haven't noticed. So yeah, fucks me up. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. Didn't watch it. And this is why I don't want to watch that live. <laughs> I would be screaming i'd be ripping my i have this disorder where i pluck hair compulsively Uh i would have been ripping my eyebrows out in (laughs) chunks i could not do that i could not have done that but yeah so those five without a doubt okay um i really want to see larry the cable guy's new special but it came out on comedy dynamics and i so you have to like pay for it and i'm Mm -hmm. like i i love larry but i don't want to pay for it (laughs) Like, cause I bought Louis cause I was like, I may never see this man again. I'm going to buy his special, uh, from his website, but I don't know, but I really want to see Larry, the cable guy's new special. Cause he, um, I just really appreciate his, uh, style where it's just like, yeah, formula works. Don't fuck with it. Great. Good joke. Mm. You know, even my friends are like taught anyone that I know that could talk shit about Larry, the cable guy, not funny. <laughs> They're not funny yeah. people. I've never had anyone they could be like, I could do that and then do it or do it better. Like mm-hmm. they don't, they're not funny like that. Yeah. Don't kiss my ass people. <laughs> you like Larry, the cable guy. Yeah. The also the opening to Jeff Dunham specials is his standup by himself. Mm-hmm. It's great. Watch <laughs> it. You can't do that. Suck it. Oh, I be, becoming a comedian has taught me that like, Oh, not liking comedians. Cause your stupid friends said they were dumb mm-hmm. is dumb. Yeah. Like you can just appreciate <laughs> these people that are doing things you have, you are decades away from even remotely scratching the surface yeah. of. So I just, I got to this place a few years ago in my life where the concept of not liking an artist or any kind of thing feels boring to me. It's like, I don't care that you don't like a thing and I don't care that you think it makes you superior to not like a thing. I'm still going through it. Sorry. (laughs) No, everybody goes through it. I go through it all the time, but trying to get past that point and force myself to get into things that I've otherwise dismissed. Most recently, Billie Eilish. Oh, no, I, I I never heard Billie Eilish's music. I only heard the types of people who were talking about Billie Eilish and never wanted to have anything to do with it. Then she won Grammys and I was like, I I I couldn't stand her, the idea of her. Mm -hmm. Then I put on her album. It's incredible. Like I love her music. Right. And I, and then I watched interviews with her and it's like, I like her as a person. I like, she recorded the whole album in her house, in her bedroom with her brother I love the the idea of it. I love the way the album turned out. I love where she's gotten to at such a young age. And I would have missed out on all that if I would have just kept with, okay, screw her for the sake of, I don't know who she is and I don't like the types of people who are Mm -hmm. talking about her. I did the same thing with Taylor Swift for a long time and found out that I love some of Taylor Swift's music. And there's a lot of music that I've dismissed before I gave it a chance. Yeah. 
that I came around to later and was like, there's no reason to not like a thing. It's just, you're just limiting yourself. And Adam Sandler movies are a great <laughs> example of that. There's so many Adam Sandler movies that it's like, I'm, I can't watch that. It looks ridiculous. It's, it's not the same as old Adam Sandler movies. And it's like, what are you doing with your life that you are, are just, a snob I'm never going to watch those things because I'm better than that. I'm not better than I'm Jack not. and Jill. It's absolutely not. Okay. I mean, you're better <laughs> than I've never seen Jack and Jill, but maybe I think I, I, I would rather, I'd rather listen to your podcasts and watch mm. Jack and Jill every day. <laughs> I, I like Billie Eilish. I think I had read a old status is on the memories uh-huh. uh, a year ago today. And I posted, I was like, fuck it. I don't care guys. I like Billie Eilish. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what was I going through? I just admitted <laughs> I liked a pop star on social mm-hmm. media. Yuck. But then I remember I was like, yeah, I totally like this girl. Like this is a, I like the music. It, there's nothing wrong. This is, is close enough to sounding like real music and instruments without like sounding so cause maybe it's cause it was in her fucking bedroom yeah, where it had to sound like lo-fi and locally sourced and independent right. and it wasn't some overproduced thing. I don't like pop music when it gets to the level of like, this was a giant studio and all of these sounds are canned and contrived and super polished. Like, grosses me out yeah that's why i don't like pop music 10 out of 10 pop stars all avoid type of thing in your episode with kylie yeah you guys were talking about pop music and Uh you brought up lady gaga and she said she loves lady gaga Mm -hmm. like as far as pop music goes that's actually a good example of somebody that i just like her albums bum me out because i know she's capable of doing better than them i loved fame was it the fame her first album fame. Yeah. And um, then fame monster. I loved that album when it came out and then, yeah, the EP that came out after it and then was born this way after that. I, I forget yeah. which order it happened. And I got so that was like one of those out. I do this with upcoming movies and albums is I keep them in a list on my phone mm-hmm. of things I have to look forward to. And I like I, I obsess over them. It's I read great. interviews about them. Born This Way was one that I was like, I am so excited for this album. And when it came out, I was so like deflated. Wow, Because really? I thought it just doesn't, I had seen her play acoustic at that point mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, she's a real artist. Like yeah. she's she's doing this pop thing, but she could do whatever she wanted to do. And then when Born This Way came out, it was like, what what is that? Like compared to what she's capable of, right? Yeah. And that, But it was the album Joanne that like I listened to one time all the way through and I was like, what are you doing? Oh, and really? So, yeah. And so it's something that I, because I was just talking about this, I, I stand by what I said. Mm-hmm. Not liking a thing for the sake of not liking a thing is boring and it's, it's ridiculous and it's self-indulgent. And so I know that there will be a time that I come around to it. It's like, I know that I'm going to listen to that album in a couple years and go, what was I doing? This is a great album. But the first time around, I only listened to it one time around. And the first time through, I was like, what am I hearing? And, uh, why is this what she's Mm -hmm. relegated herself to? It was specifically, she has that song called angel down. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that one. It was about like, uh, police shootings or something. Oh wow. And I was like, okay, let's see what this is. And it was just exactly what I thought it was going to be. And it kind of, uh, it it just felt schmaltzy. You know the word schmaltzy? Yes, I do. That's the best, uh, word that I can use in this. I know what that word means. Yeah. So it makes sense. It's like, exactly the corn syrup you thought it was going to be. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I feel like you're, 
painting because Madonna did the same thing. I feel like for a while too, where it's like, you're doing this like factory generated version of pop music that is not really saying anything that you're trying to say, but it's it's branded like that. It's you're saying what you're supposed to be saying. And I, I know that Lady Gaga is an incredible musician and has a lot of potential, but the way that she, I feel like what she's doing is letting her producers make albums for her and filling in the blanks with her personality. And then they put it out and then move on to the next one. But each time I read about her like interview about an upcoming album, I, I get sucked into it and I'm so excited for it. And it's never quite what I think it's going to be. She lost me an art pop. Yeah, right, didn't, okay. didn't care for that. I, yeah. That's when I was like, oh, okay, I don't care what Lady Gaga right. does right now. I, but I still me. like. I still think her first album is so. It's such a masterpiece of pop production, and it's exactly what it should be. And I know that she is capable of doing incredible things. So it's like each time she falls short of that, I'm like, oh, I want you to do the thing that you're capable of doing, and not her, just yeah. what they're telling you you can do. The, the but I don't sec- know. If it's I want her, her to do the second album or mm-hmm. EP, whatever it was, the Fame Monster. Yeah. I want that again. Yeah. Because to me, that was exactly what I like about her. Yeah. Was and, like, but I already this, hear myself. Yeah. I hear that thing that I hate when I hear other people do, which is like, why doesn't their new music sound like the old music that I loved? I hate it when people do that with bands like Weezer, where they're like, <laughs> Oh, Weezer never made an album as good as like the blue album ever again. What was the other album? Like people Pinkerton Pinkerton. Yeah. Which yeah. I love. I love Pinkerton. I love the blue album, but I also love the, some of the newer stuff. Like I don't, mind when people are doing that if it's really what they want to be doing and should be doing and so i'm probably like contradicting myself completely because like i said i'll come back around to lady gaga's later stuff in a few years and i'll go oh my god i was an idiot and i was missing out on this great music because i decided to see it through a certain lens it's not not even that you're contradicting yourself some things are not meant to be seen until time ages them. Yeah. Just a little, or, just or gets them a little, it's not the right time in my life for that album to click with me. Well, like that's, when yeah, that's what I, I read mean. the great Gatsby when I was in high school mm-hmm. and despised that book. Mm-hmm. And I read it when I was 23 or 24 and I spent that whole year like praising what that book did to me and changed me as a person and all this stuff. I wrote songs about it. It was like, but what really struck me about it is it's the exact same text in the book. It just spoke to me completely differently when I read it on my own. And as an adult, as opposed to being forced to read it when I was a child and not getting why I was being forced to do this thing. Right. And so the music can be the same way. Movies can be the same way where you see something or read it and it doesn't do anything for you, or maybe you hate it but you come back around to it at the appropriate time and it suddenly works. First, and you time, can't first time I heard the cure, it was disgusting. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what the hell are these retards doing? And then it turns out that was an old album. It was one of their first albums and they're this giant band. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I was 12 years old and I was like, this is disgusting. I hate yeah. this album. It was the I Boys Don't Cry the compilation. The first cure song I heard was, uh, is it A Thousand Years? It's the opening track on pornography, I um, think. I don't know off the top of my head right now. Couldn't stand it. Like hated it Mm -hmm. so much. Uh, And then uh, In Between Days is what brought me on board. Like, Oh my God. I got obsessed. song is perfect. I was obsessed with The Cure in high school and I didn't know a single other person who listened to or even knew who The Cure was. And sometimes I would mention them to people and they didn't get it or they didn't, they didn't know who I was talking about. So mm-hmm. I didn't tell anybody I listened to The Cure until years later. It's like, that's uh, one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. 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 
But I, I, I like getting to those places independent of other people's influence. Agreed. Nobody got me into The Cure. I just loved The Cure. Agreed. So it's just something that I attack. There was also a band I was obsessed with that I've still never heard anybody talk about called Love Spit Love. Never they heard put of out, it. I think, two albums total, wow. maybe three. Uh, and it was the lead singer of the Psychedelic Furs. Oh, great shit. He put out these two, like, alternative rock albums in the 90s and they're so good and I've never met another person who's even heard of this band and I listen to them in my bedroom all the time but I didn't tell anybody I listened to them because it wasn't cool to talk about I hate those things like that's I feel like that was traumatic for me you know in not not in a big way (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about (laughs) it was traumatic in a way that as an adult I've tried to shed that and go who cares what I'm supposed to be listening to or what I, you know, I, it's boring I, I, to me I when carry, I hear adults talk about. I carry so much emotional baggage because yeah. I like things that other people didn't like and I can't relate to people and people yeah. don't relate to me and I don't want to relate to you simpletons that just like pop music, high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. It's still, there's still ghosts of that. Yeah. In, inside of me at and all I, the times. I, I hate the mindset where you think that because you like stuff that other people don't like, that makes you superior to them. And I also hate the mindset that I had in high school, which was nobody has heard of this band and that makes me less cool than them. So I won't tell anybody, I'm ashamed to share it, right? Well, I hate both of those mindsets. I loved when I found bands that people didn't know. Yeah. So I was like, now I can be cool for knowing something you didn't <laughs> and liking something. And I trust my opinion and I think it's good. Yeah. Like I have this moment, people have this thing about like their guilty pleasures. Like, Oh, I listened to such cringy music when I was a kid. I don't, I always am like, I don't have that. Yeah. I don't have guilty pleasures. Everything I liked back then, I still fucking like right now. If I put on those records back then, I will put them on right now and I'll still like them type of thing. Like the only fucking things that I'm like, ugh, what was that about? Is like punk rock. Yeah. And it's just like, just the, typical punk rock mm-hmm. where I'm like, ugh, yeah, that didn't hold up in right. my mind. Mm-hmm. Still fun. Great power chords. Great beat. Love the fucking energy, you know, total mood. I can still listen to it. Yeah. But I don't have guilty pleasures where people are like, I went through my scene phase. <laughs> I did not. I went through liking good shit period phase. Uh-huh. Fuck you. So I have this like <laughs> this horrible, douchey, pretentious thing mm-hmm. that isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't look back and like, hate myself for liking that music yeah. type of thing. I don't know. Yeah, That's a I flaw. have, I, I'm the other way around. Like I have lots of bands that I like that if nobody else likes them, I feel like I just can't share this with anybody. So it's just my own private thing. And that makes me feel like, like I don't fit in. And I, so I just don't share it. And like Fugazi. Yeah. Do you know Fugazi? Yeah, of course. I, one of my favorite bands of all time. But I don't, I've never met another person. I think Neil Breton likes Fugazi, and we talked about it a bit. But nobody that I, like, like I've played them for Allie, and she listens to it, and she deals with it, but it's not something she's ever going to put on when she's alone. Like, I played yeah. it for my mom, and I don't think my mom cared for it. Um, and I just didn't talk to my friends about stuff like that. So it was like, Fugazi, for me, is a very personal band that I really enjoy, but I only listen to by myself. And it's not something I would put on in the car when other people were with me. And, and it, it's one of those bands too, where it feels very uh, insular in that you're not going to find a lot of people who enjoy them, even if they give them a chance. Uh, Refused, the band Refused has an album called The Shape of Punk to Come. Yeah. 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 Love that album. And everybody I've ever played it for has had the same look on their face while it's and on. And it's this like, look. Yeah. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. And so 
yeah, I just don't share that stuff with people, but that's funny. I had such a different experience with Fugazi. Everyone around me loved that band when really? I was growing up wow. and it was like, you're only cool or respectable. If you like Ian Mackay's other stuff, he's not even the vocalist <laughs> in this band. And I was still like hung up on minor threat uh-huh. and I was, I was at a loss. Yeah. I could not handle, I was like, I don't like every time I listen to Fugazi, I don't like it. It doesn't yeah. go anywhere where I want it to go. I don't like fucking waiting room. I don't like this shit. <laughs> I don't get it. I thought Fugazi was going to be my favorite band of all time. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to it and I could not get into it. I don't mind it. Yeah. By no means am I going to be like, oh, turn Fugazi off. What are we <laughs> gay? But like, I absolutely cannot succumb to Fugazi. Yeah. It just doesn't, it just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Something about it. I feel, it, it feels like, that, I don't know. I, I was probably that way with Minor Threat, honestly, because I came into Fugazi first and then I listened to Minor Threat and it was like, this isn't something I can get into in the same way because Fugazi's albums to me felt like art pieces. Yeah. Felt they, like they they're, crafted they're it in mud, the studio. It's better music without a doubt. I well, could, it's, I, it's more complex at least, but that's yeah. complexity is what speaks to me sometimes. Okay. And with minor threat, it's like, okay, I feel like somebody's about to punch me in the face in a mosh pit. And I hate that energy. Like I, okay. I saw anti-flag, yeah, uh, I got in trouble like in fourth grade for wearing an anti-flag shirt. <laughs> really? I got it suspended or like something for wearing an anti-flag uh-huh. shirt. Seeing them live was one of the worst concerts ex- concert experiences I've ever had. Because you went to Warped Tour. Be- no, I've never been to Warped Tour. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> oh my God. Cheers. Neither. <laughs> but um, I don't like festivals. I'm not a festival I've person. I've ne- never. Um, nope. But not. saw White Flag or sorry, Anti-Flag. Um, I think I saw White Flag too. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, just the the mosh pit and the way that the fans were reacting to the music and the way they acted towards each other. It was like there's a lot of testosterone in here and it feels like somebody's going to get injured for no good reason and I'm just trying to watch the band. Like yeah. I was trying to step back and just see what the band was doing on stage. I'm just not built for that kind of audience, yeah. that sort of crowd thing. I know you have a lot of mosh pit experience and that's I refuse. How we're there's no way I will ever get into a mosh pit again. <laughs> I have to love the band. Mm-hmm. I do not. The I la- saw yeah. Blink 182 in like 2002. Really? And wow. everybody was moshing to it. It's like, how do you mosh to all the small things? What are you doing? I don't know. I understand enjoying something so heavily that your body reacts, uh-huh. but I don't understand moshing to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the Melvins recently. Mm-hmm. There's a mosh pit. <laughs> and I was like, this is metal mm-hmm. by default, but like a lot of these songs there's no mosh rhythm to it. What are you doing? Yeah. And then the last mosh pit I was in was uh, in the same venue. I saw off. Uh-huh. Amazing. I It was the best experience for a mosh pit could have ever asked for. And I don't think I'll ever get in one again. And now I'm like, I need to see what the fuck they're doing. I need to see what they're wearing. I need to know what kind of guitar that is. I'm not a musician. I'll never be a musician. I can't play a guitar. All my friends are musicians. None of them wanted me to be a musician too. They said, go over there and watch us play, please. Okay. Um, Fucking, I need to like know, do I recognize the song? Do I know the lyrics? Is this song? Oh, this is a cover of that song. There's this song called Halo of Flies that the Melvins covered in an album they did with Jello Biafra of Dead Kennedy's fame and Jello Biafra fame. And I thought it was their song. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, oh, Jello and Melvin's did Halo of Flies. That's amazing. 
And then it fa- I found out it's an Alice Cooper song. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I didn't know that. So I was like, oh, I, I had to go into the fucking show and go, they're going to play Halo next. I saw on their set list because they're, I, I love set lists and like finding out what order. Yeah. I, I make playlists that match yeah. the set lists of when I saw the Me band. Too. Yeah. I, I go look for them yeah. because, oh my God. So Melvin's, this was the first like band and like where I saw where I was like, I need to know what the hell's going on here. <laughs> I need to know why this song sounds different, what yeah. that song's referencing. Like it just completely changed my musical like interpretation. Yeah. So. I fucking love them for that. Yeah. That's also, I think just why I don't mesh with the, like the mosh pit sort of thing. When I go to a concert, I'm going to a concert to watch the band and learn from the band Mm -hmm. and sort of experience what's going on on stage and how they bring these songs to life. And anything that's going on separate from that is like a distraction from it for me. Yeah. And I think a lot of people go to concerts to have fun, which I understand. I'm just not that type of person. It's the same. They also buy Lady Gaga's Joanne album. Yeah. (laughs) Or they watch like people who watch like uh, Transform Transformers movies. I know Transformers is like a huge franchise. I haven't seen one and I don't really have an interest in one. And I don't think that makes me better. It's just that those movies, they feel like an escape from reality. And what I enjoy in a movie is like a hard dose of reality. I I like very realistic movies that are kind of dry and boring sometimes Mm -hmm. that speak to some profound truth. And that's what resonates with me. And when I watch any sort of heavily CGI action film, then the production values there, it's great. And it's like, yeah, but I feel like I'm supposed to be watching this for fun mm-hmm. and I don't watch movies for fun usually, unless it's an Adam Sandler comedy yeah. where it's like, it, feel like it, we're just watching this to laugh and be silly. It's re- it's really interesting when you're sitting there w- with the big production, big budget movie mm. and you're still like, I don't know if this mise-en-scene is really what <laughs> I was, you know, when you're still like analyzing it, you're like, where's yeah. the continuity errors? Like I still like will dissect movies, mm-hmm. yeah. but movies like that, they're usually big enough where it's just like, it turns that switch off. It like takes a minute, but then eventually it like sneaks into my brain and then yeah. just switches the, the, the pr- pretentious switch off on me. That's yeah. what I call it. I don't think you're pretentious. If you like these things, I just think that there's no way I could, I'm such a fucking no, like normal, like piece of white trash. As soon as I start <laughs> like analyzing thing or being mm-hmm. intellectual, I know people are be like, Oh, Mr. Fucking interesting. Now yeah. I, I, I need, I need to like, yeah, change people's. Yeah. And so many people, I feel like, talk about this kind of stuff. Like, uh, with, when Tiger King became popular, yeah. like a month ago, and for at first there was a huge wave of people being like, Tiger King, you got to see Tiger King, and all the Carol Baskin memes yeah. and all the things people were sharing. And then very quickly there became this backlash where now it's really cool to post and be like, I've never seen Tiger King. Gross. Why is that cool? Why is that interesting? Why is either one necessary? I've also never watched Game of Thrones, but I'm not cool for yeah, it. I've I'm never not seen, cool for it. never seen an episode of Game of Thrones, but also never posted a status that says, I've never seen seen an episode of game and throne game I, of thrones and that I makes me cooler than you just said this on instagram <laughs> last night i was saying I, I was yesterday was may the 4th may the 4th be with you star wars day and i had asked a question on instagram i was yeah. like what's your favorite star wars movie and someone's like uh oops i hate star wars you know just being yeah. you know whatever and I, I said i was like you don't get extra points for not <laughs> watching so you don't you're not cool because you didn't enjoy the thing other people enjoyed right. shut up you know i was just being a fucker but <laughs> 
and they, they weren't being, you know, intentionally yeah. hurtful or hateful. I'm just saying. And I just, you don't get fucking cool points. The thing is riding the wave is the cool thing. Mm-hmm. You're like, I was there when star Wars yeah. hit the fan, you know, mm-hmm. I was there when tiger King premiered and I watched it, the tiger King wave. I watched yeah. that with Kylie. She was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to watch this. This is silly. <laughs> like I keep, she's like, I'm seeing memes about this. And uh-huh. I, and I, had, this was like the first day of memes where yeah. I was like, Oh, what's this thing? I don't know what this is about. And then we watched a trailer for it and she was like, Oh my God, I'm watching this. We're watching this. So we watched the whole fucking yeah. thing in like one and sitting. The, f- the fact that everybody was trapped at home and it was something to watch and you saw other people talking about it. It's like, I get not wanting to follow the, the Norm, trends and all that yeah. stuff, but there is something to be said for that shared human experience Community. where it's like, we're all experiencing the same thing at the same time and you don't have to love it and you don't have to talk about it. You just watch it and know that other people are watching it too Seriously. and probably thinking the same things that you're thinking, but there's always those things with huge trends and things that people are talking to death. And then this backlash of people who think they're cool for not partaking in that thing. And it's like, it doesn't make you cool either way. How does that reflect on you as a person, except that I didn't do what everybody else was doing. And it's like, all right, well, you, you probably would have enjoyed it quite a bit if you had. I've seen people post and be like, I've never watched Tiger King and I don't want to. Okay. Well, if you did, you'd probably get all the jokes and yeah. you'd probably understand what everybody's talking about, but why be a part of the crowd, right? Yeah. Like get great, keep yourself separate, but it doesn't make you better. No, it, it, it sucks. Cause there's validity in both stances of like I don't want to be sucked into this drivel and then there's also validity of like I get all the jokes I have community I can relate to these people right we all stand for something and there's strength in numbers and and that's beautiful and there's like a really uh earnest thing to be said about people having a shared experience right people you know who go through horrible things like the days after Katrina and you know days after 9-11 and what we're going through now yeah. we're all gonna look back so fondly believe it or not, in the community and strength. Dude, we are so disconnected. I don't go out and see anyone when it's not locked down, you know, before this. I wasn't going out and seeing anyone and, like, having a shared experience. I was going out, and I was like, oh, my fucking God, if only there was some sort of, like, thing to get all you people off the fucking road, out of these aisles. (laughs) Maybe some of you could die. We don't need the old ones. And then it happened. Yeah. And now we have it. And now I'm like, oh, fucking, <laughs> I love you guys. Don't go anywhere, please. And now we have this shared experience. And I'm like, gosh, I kind of miss people yeah. a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong. I fucking love getting everywhere early. And when you go down an aisle in the grocery store, someone gets the fuck out of the way. <laughs> but still. One of the things, I don't watch sports, which again, uh-huh. it's a, even saying that, I hear that voice of people like, I don't watch sports. And the people I who do are idiots. Sports, I don't ball. watch sports. I grew up watching football. My family loves watching football. We always watched it. I haven't kept up with it. I don't keep up with any sports, but every year I always watch the Super Bowl with my mom. Absolutely. And part of what I love about Super Bowl Sunday is that everybody in the country yes. knows it's Super Bowl Sunday. You go into a grocery store and everybody has that Super Bowl Sunday energy. You're like making eye contact with people. You've got your team and it's like I just enjoy the shared human experience of we're all going through this. I also like rainy days for the same reason. When you run into people on a rainy day, it's like, hey, we're all going through this weird thing at the same time. And it's like kind of unusual. Oh, you got your shoes wet. I almost got my shoes wet around the corner. Damn. Anything that we can bond over and be like, hey, we're all going through this. It sucks. Mm -hmm. And the same with this lockdown. It's like, 
this is crazy and we're all wearing masks and we're all talking to each other on video apps and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's weird, but you're right. It's like 9-11. In 10 years, we're going to look back at this with some nostalgia. Even though it was a tragedy, you're going to look back and go, yeah, but we were so close. We were all connected. And even though we weren't seeing each other, we were trying harder because we had a reason to. In the same way that after 9-11, everybody sort of came together for a while and it felt like people were there for each other. People were taking it easier on each other. They weren't screaming at each other in traffic the same way there's something to that i remember after 9 11 they played american patriotic songs Mm. in our classroom just as like part of the curriculum yeah and we like had to learn them Mm -hmm. and there's no one doing that today it's completely different, but that yeah. because everyone is so connected and because everyone is so like, uh-huh, America, right? Fuck yeah. They took our towers out. Fuck them. Mm-hmm. Check out this song. You know, <laughs> I love that. I freaking, oh man, you, you summed it up very nicely. I can't, the nostalgia part really hit it on the head for me because it's like, yeah, we're going to be so fucking stoked Yeah, to look back and be like, oh yeah, that was amazing when we were connected and we agreed with each other even though we're the fucking shared experience thing is such a beautiful thing and i had no idea how prevalent it was until i had all these like situations pointed out that's why like fridays they're like a microdose of these situations when you when it's friday afternoon everyone knows it's friday afternoon the traffic's like it's a little quicker you're like oh shit you know everyone's at the bank cashing their checks there's like a couple people are like fuck that we're getting pizza so like domino's is a little busier than usual and then there's like just like hey there's like hmm i is there like cologne like oh my neighbors aren't cooking they're going out for the night what's this about you know there's like a fucking awesome friday feeling like i just got my paycheck and i'm gonna go get laid maybe and i'm gonna go see that band i like and maybe there's gonna be a comedian i'll go see and like where's this fun and then um maybe there oh and then there's tv shows to watch and then Mm -hmm. even if i'm staying inside there's fucking friday night you know (laughs) Or like maybe everyone's going to the football game and then everyone's like, oh man, we're going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to be Saturday. We're going to go. We're going to go to Billy's baseball game. We're going to watch that. It's going to be great. And we're going to have a fucking uh, barbecue on Sunday. Like there's a weekend feeling. Everyone has this shared experience. (laughs) And as a kid, I was like, ew, gross. I don't want to be doing the thing where like your fucking gross families are together and we're doing the thing. And now I can't go watch you know, Yu-Gi-Oh or Family Guy or some dumb shit. And now I'm fucking, and now I'm like, I really wish that all my families and their friends were all kids again. We're all together. And it was Friday and we're going to the baseball game. We're going to have a cookout and a barbecue and now we're not. And that's a shared experience. And you have all these little examples of it. And I took it all for granted for so fucking long. And I'm sitting this self-aware in the middle of lockdown, in the middle of quarantine, like maybe this won't end. Maybe this will be a horrible, but for right now, I really like a lot of things about this and I can't wait to see how they age because this album is going to be really fucking cool in 10 years when I look back and go, damn, I was an idiot for not appreciating it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of adulthood for me so far has been trying to correct things that I took for granted when I was younger, like realizing there's things I missed out on because I took them for granted. Mm-hmm. It, like my family being together, like you're talking about, when I was growing up, my grandparents lived a mile away from us and all of my mom's sisters and their husbands and their kids were all in the same town. And so every holiday we were at my grandma's house, we were having a barbecue. Everybody was there. Now half of them have died. The other half moved away and there's only like four of us left here and we don't get together for anything. And there's a part of me that's like, I really wish I would have appreciated it at the time that it was happening and not just taking it for granted. There's a, 
I didn't watch the last few seasons of The Office yet. I'm putting them off. But uh, there's you, there's a quote it. from one of the one la- one of the last episodes where Andy Bernard says, mm. "I wish you could know you were in the good old days while you were still in them." Yeah, yeah, that sums it up pretty well. It's so poignant. It's the only thing that character ever said that's worth repeating. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck, dude. That's such a good one, too. All right, I have a couple more questions for you. Okay. I made a list of my favorite movies, too, if you want to. I do. Actually, yeah. Squeeze Here, that let's, in. Let's pause for a second and regroup. Okay. So tell me, give me this list. Tell me your favorite movies how many are on your list what's your what's your idea of a list i listed i tried to do a top 10 and top 10 was hard i did it's impossible gosh i did 13 it doesn't even make sense 13 works what do you want me to do just go through them and read them or you want to talk about them it, we could talk about them we just stop and talk about them you got some. All what's right. your what, what's your number thirteen? Okay. What what is it in ascending or descending, or does it three, matter? Six, nine, twelve. I got fifteen here. You have fifteen. Yeah. Are they in like any they're in order? descending order? Yeah. I I did the best I could with the caveat that it probably changes constantly. It and does every change every day. Constantly. It's going to be different. I, I, if any self respecting movie fan or film buff, whatever you want to call them, listens, they know that like yeah. your top anything and these are changes. top in that they spoke to me in a way or, or impacted my life in some way or there's something that I go back to repeatedly. Yeah, they're not your top fight contenders. Yeah. They're not like, oh, this And I would never argue them with anybody else. It's like, these are movies that are oh, that's uniquely special to me that probably won't mean the same for other people. Hmm. Well, give me ones you want to talk about. Okay. And then well, we can list the things that you're not necessarily keen on talking about, but you just wanted to mention. Because if I agree, we'll just go through them in order. And if you want to, there we go. To Let's just do that. Why are we quiz me on why or challenge my taste? No, you right. will. Oh shit! Okay. Um, <laughs> we can do it that way. Let's do it. Um, so this will be easy. Number fifteen is Billy Madison. We already talked about yeah, that. That's pretty easy. Yeah, Billy Madison is just. A, I think I kind of covered it before, but it's a movie that I watched when I was super young. That no matter how many times I see it, it's comforting, it's familiar, and it's something that I feel like a lot of people. You either love that movie or you hate that movie. Ali saw it when she was young, and her parents hated it because they thought it was just going to be a regular comedy. Uh-oh. And it's not. It's a bizarre movie. So she didn't watch it for years. And then I made her rewatch it. And then we've watched it many times together. Yeah. And it grows on you. But it's also. I'll have to rewatch it soon. Yeah. It's, have you seen it a lot? Yeah. You have? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's incredibly quotable. It's one of those movies where there's so many scenes. There's still memes with the images being used yeah. for Billy Madison. Yeah. Like the, it's coming up still. Right. Like as much, especially with like current events and stuff, I've seen as much as today mm-hmm. a Billy Madison meme. Yeah. Um, okay. And then uh, in a completely different direction, my number 14 was American movie. What's that? So it's a documentary. It's a real life documentary okay. about this. It's This is why I love it so much. It shouldn't be a documentary. It doesn't make any sense. There's no real reason for it to exist, but it's a documentary about this filmmaker in Wisconsin who's trying to make a horror film on no budget. And it's awful. Like it's an awful production. I tried watching this. I did not finish yeah. it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's it's funny. So poignant to me it's like one of those slice of life things where you're like 
what am I watching? And like, this is how these people live. It and gave this me is anxiety. I turned it off. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something that probably if I watched younger, I would have hated it. That's when I watched it. I That's watched it problem. at the right time. I watched it at a time that for whatever reason it spoke to me and it made me feel normal and made me feel like, oh, we're all kind of winging it a little bit. And sometimes our life is a total wreck and it's still okay. When did it come out? 2008? Oh no. I think it was like nine, 99. Hmm. Yeah, it was, I think it was filmed in the late nineties and put out in 98 or 99. Um, and it's these two guys, they're both from Wisconsin. They're both like very lower class trailer park kind of people and they're best friends and they've both got these bizarre personalities and yeah, it's just something that for whatever reason, the first time I saw it was like, Oh my God, I, I think that's one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. And then I watched it many times. And then weirdly enough, I got to interview the guy, like the mm-hmm. main guy in it um, for this website. And I reached out to him and asked, can I interview you? And he said, yes. <laughs> so we talked on the phone and actually he was not too keen on talking about the movie. So we had to talk about other things. And strangely enough, we sort of bonded over like, he just wanted to talk to me about like my music. And he's like, he's this really strong Wisconsin accent. he's like, how's the weather out there, Chris? Is it real good out there today? And we talked about normal stuff going on in our lives. So then once I was done with the interview, he kind of stayed in touch with me. So it's like this guy from one of my favorite movies that we just, yeah, we bonded over. That's cool. I had a, um, a short moment of correspondence with Doug Jones, Uh the character actor. Yeah. The guy who's in a, um, What's that? It's Pan's Labyrinth. He plays the guy with the hands and uh-huh. eyeballs. And then he plays the fish in Shape of Water, things uh-huh. like that. And uh, he knows me and Kylie by name. Really? And be like, hey, Dallas Kylie, how you doing? And just, yeah. We'd Snapchat each other sometimes. I was just a fan. He, uh-huh. had a, he had a Snapchat on social media. I added him. He would watch my story, would reply to it. I'd watch his reply to it. And he just, you know, mm. really funny, like small, like the the celebrities that slip through the cracks yeah. is yeah. fun. I love that when they're like can be they're normal enough that they can talk to other people and it not be weird. Yeah. <sighs> In my experience anytime I've gotten to know or had any extended period of time with a celebrity, they're always so much more normal than you expect them to be. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for normal normalcy as well. They don't want to talk to people who are going to talk to them about being a celebrity or other celebrities. They kind of just want to <laughs> They just want to forget that part of themselves. I just, I remember the instant when me and uh, Kylie were driving back from Tennessee, we stopped at this giant gas station in like Arizona or something. Mm-hmm. And we saw this like hilarious t-shirt that's like, I'm a Bible reading gun toting Jesus loving, just like complete hysterical cringe shirt. And I had posted a fucking picture of it. And he was, I remember that was one of the things he responded to like, Oh my God, good grief. What is that? <laughs> Horrible shirt. <laughs> and I was like, that's right. Right. That's why I took a picture of it. He understands. Doug knows. <laughs> All right. Next movie. Um, these are, these are softball so far. These are pretty yeah. basic movies. Dumb and dumber. Oh, absolutely. Dumb and dumber is a good example to me of a movie that hit at the right time. And it was made for nobody. It wasn't, I don't think they were aiming to be like the biggest film that can never be repeated. Never. They've tried to make sequels to it. They try to make a prequel to it. Horrible. It won't work again. And one of the, one of the pet peeves that I have about people is that anytime they hear a sequel or a new part of something that's beloved is coming out, they like lose their minds over it. 
and they hate it when it comes out. And it's like, haven't you learned from this yet? You can't repeat these things sometimes. It just has to hit the right way and the right time. And Dumb and Dumber is one that when you rewatch the original movie, it's like this had such a a time and a place and a feel to it that the the sequels left out. Yeah, that's another good example. I, I don't like comedy movies. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge comedy movie. Like my top yeah. ten favorite movies, I don't think there might even be like a s- single comedy on there. Yeah, I don't care for comedies. I don't think they're funny most of the time, or the humor is not what I'm looking for. Uh huh. Um, but Dumb and Dumber is one of the few, and The Hangover as well is like, oh, this is a comedy, and it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Period. I love it. It's great. So that that one is high up there on yeah. my list of favorites. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect one. And there's a Nick Cave song in it. So that's great. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know you were into Nick Cave. He's my favorite. Kylie brought it up on your episode. And uh, yeah, we'll have to talk about that. I, I was literally crying reading uh, some Nick Cave. Um, he has a correspondence with his fans called the red hand files Mm -hmm. you uh, send in questions and every other week or so he'll answer a few of them in these very well-written long answers Mm -hmm. and he emails them to everyone subscribing to the list and he lost his son in 2016 2017 and so often did these questions come from people who have also lost their children and ask him how he's dealt with it. Yeah. And like he's had about almost a hundred of these sent out over the past couple of years. And I cry from reading them constantly. Mm-hmm. It is so well-written and it's so painful and it's so eye-opening and before you got here, I was reading one of them and I was fucking crying. That's when I said earlier, I was like, I already cried yeah. enough for the month. <laughs> I, I'm all cried out. Uh-huh. It was about that. It was about these people who lost their kids and they were trying to, or lost children and he was answering them and it was fucking so poignant and powerful and well-written and like really heartbreaking. Yeah. And he is my favorite. I did, I tried doing a whole podcast about, why I like why I like Nick Cave because right now they have a whole twenty four seven live streaming of all of their content, mm-hmm. all the Nick Cave content from his first bands to his current bands. <gasps> Excuse me, I'm gonna cry right now. I get all fucking um, on YouTube, and uh-huh. I was like watching it, and I was just yeah, absolutely yeah. my favorite artist. Yeah, have you seen the documentary that came out a few years ago? I own it. Yeah, I have. Maybe I can borrow it from you. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking for a way to watch it. Uh, I read about it and I was like, I need to see this. But yeah. I, I read an, an interview with him in GQ or something. That's where the they one. followed yeah. him to his office and where he writes songs every day and was like. I just reread that this week. Yeah. That's another what we're talking about earlier. An artist who I don't, I don't want to make the style of music he makes. I don't. I'm not in the same wheelhouse that he is, but just reading about his process makes me want to try harder to make good art. I I like that interview because of uh, them talking about music. Them talking about like, doesn't even know what this is. Oh, and then he doesn't write on computers anymore Mm -hmm. or like lyrics or anything because he feels like he could just be in a bad mood and then delete it. it Yeah. He'd lose 
all this genius work or potentially like great songs and stuff. Yeah. So now he doesn't write on like a computer and he still dyes his hair black. Does he? Yeah. He's goth <laughs> till the fucking cows come home. Mm-hmm. Still dyes his hair black. I love mm-hmm. that. Okay. <laughs> Next movie. Where we at? Okay. Uh, what's eating Gilbert grape? I've never seen that. I have no, I know nothing about it. Mm. You could say whatever you want or spoil it or not. I think I should just give it a chance one of these days. Yeah. All right. You recommend it. Okay. Next one. Uh, orange County. I've seen that. Okay. I saw that when I was a kid though, so I can't appreciate it yet. Don't, yeah. don't spoil anything. Cause I need no. to rewatch it. That's I, with Jack Black. Yeah. And then, I saw uh, it as a Jack Black movie the first time and it's not a Jack it's a Black Colin movie. Hanks movie. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it speaks to me very personally because what he's going through feels very relatable to me. And I'll, yeah, I'll leave it at that. It's, there's a lot of themes in that movie that are like, oh my God, it makes me want to cry thinking about it because it speaks so profoundly to this commonality that we all share or that some people share. It's on streaming something right now. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I just saw this recently. But it's not, to me, it's not a hilarious movie. It's not like a movie that you're going to die laughing at the whole time. There are moments that will make you laugh. But to me, it's just a profoundly, uh, it speaks to something in me, that kind of movie. Good. I I can appreciate that. I'm going to, I'm taking that with reverence because I've Mm -hmm. never heard anyone speak about this movie. And I used to get Orange County mixed up with, Saving Silverman and Stealing Harvard. <laughs> okay. I used to oh, yeah, mix yeah. all three of those movies up when I was yep. a kid. They all have similar scenes in them. I know what and you're Jack talking. Black's in two of them. Yeah. Um Goodfellas. Yep. Kind of an easy one. Top ten. Um I didn't see until six or seven years ago. I, so I owned I didn't it. see when I was young. It's been in our collection on VHS my whole life, and uh-huh. I didn't watch it till I was fourteen. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. Perfect time to watch it. Yeah. 14 watching Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah. And to this day, I can't. If Goodfellas is like on TV and I'm somewhere where I can't stream things and I'm just like the TV's on, I'm like, we're definitely watching Goodfellas. Yeah. Like, why would I not put on Goodfellas? <laughs> I love Goodfellas. That yeah. I can fall asleep to that movie. I can watch that movie. I, I got a little too high recently and watched it. Mm-hmm. And I thought the death scenes were really going to upset me. And I was like, oh, no, this movie's good even when I'm fucking stoned <laughs> out of my mind. This is great. This is awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, Goodfellas, perfect movie to yeah. me. I love that they end the movie with uh, Sid Vicious's cover of My Way by Frank Sinatra. Oh, do they? Yeah, that's okay. the version of it. That's the uh-huh. first version of it that I had ever heard mm-hmm. was a Sid Vicious one. And then I found out <laughs> about Frank Sinatra. Just to let you guys know I'm cooler than you. Um so I was like, holy shit, this Scorsese guy is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's also just, it's it's one of those films that I appreciate from a filmmaking standpoint. So many of the choices that were made and the shots and yeah, the way like they what? were filmed and like stuff. What? Like yeah. what? I would love to hear that. So the one that we talk, Ali, cause Ali's a huge film nerd. Like I am too, where uh-huh. we talk about this stuff, the tracking shot where they're going into the club, yeah. like the Copacabana or whatever. It's an uncut times. shot where they follow them the entire way through the room. And you see mm-hmm. them like saying hello That's to people. That's the only shot them. I thought of when you were talking. Yeah. That's the, things like that. You cannot forget that shot. There's a lot of those in Scorsese movies, like in uh, casino, there's mm-hmm. that amazing desert shot where the cars are driving out to the desert and the tracking like i've only seen it once i can't 
I can't speak to it because I saw yeah. it when I was much younger and I couldn't, I was before I was in any film classes, so I really didn't know what I was seeing. Yeah. But I still watch Goodfellas to this day, but I haven't seen Casino in over 10 years. Yeah. When he had his brother killed in front of him, mm-hmm. I was like, this is, uh, this movie's a little, uh, a little harsher <laughs> than Goodfellas. That, that part really upset me. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I don't know why, but it was that, I think that was the first time I had watched a movie and felt so involved where I was like, I couldn't like to what was happening to these characters, like was really upsetting me Mm -hmm. and I'm not even invested in these characters, but like if someone killed my brother in front of me and the way they showed it, same thing happened in Scarface too. So I don't think I've seen Scarface all the way through. Okay. It's one of those movies that people insisted upon so much that I was like, when I see this, it better change my life. Yeah. And I, I just wasn't interested in it when I watched it, but it's something I need to give a chance. I've also never seen any of the Godfathers and I know there's going to be like, it's going to, it's got to be a week of my life where I just sit down and watch them all the way through. I need to watch them again. Um, I, I wasn't like terribly stoked. Like I watched all, all three of them mm-hmm. and I was like, that was cool. I guess to me, they, I thought they were overrated. Yeah. And that was me going into film class. Mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, I don't really know anything about this yet. Again, something, Casino and Godfather, Godfather movies, I need to watch again. Yeah. Because I'm watching The Sopranos right now, and there's something about Godfather 2 specifically. It's like the Empire Strikes Back of the Godfather mm-hmm. movies um, that The Sopranos reminds me of. And there's something I love about The Sopranos, and there's this connection in there. Just got to watch them. I highly recommend you watching them, taking that week, mm. especially now. Now that you got the time. Yeah. <laughs> next Once one. Next one. Next Sandler one. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> Stand by me. It's um, top top ten for me. Yeah. Absolutely untouchable. Yeah. Gets better with age too. Mm-hmm. The more I watch it, the the more I like it. That uh, that's how I know. Watching that movie is how I know if I'm going through depression or not. Really? Depending on how badly I want to kill myself when the movie's <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, Stand By Me is um, hands down one of my favorite films of all time. Top 10, top 5, whatever. Mm-hmm. I wrote Stand By Me. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I was writing them down because I was trying to like make my list while you're making yours. Chasing Amy. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. I, I've, I've only seen that movie once or twice. Yeah. Um, I actually just watched it recently with my mom. Oh, That's really? funny. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it so much in high school. It was like, for whatever reason, I just really connected to that movie in high school and watched it over and over again. And another movie that as I got older and rewatched it, it kind of spoke to me in different ways than it had originally. And it was one that Allie had never seen that I got to introduce her to that she then really liked because I was like, the whole time we were watching, it was like this scene and then this and, you know. So <laughs> it's a movie that we both enjoy now i think ah, i um kevin smith has this really good film it's a horror movie mm-hmm. called red state heard of it never seen it um uh, the first time i watched that it was the most terrified a movie made me <laughs> while watching it uh-huh. up until that point in my life it was like i was like you know when you watch a movie in a perfect setting mm-hmm that's when I watched this movie. Yeah. I was like in my bedroom alone. It was dark. There's no phone distracting me. I was like 16. Damn. Great movie. <laughs> I really enjoyed that movie. Uh-huh. Did you see Tusk? 
I started watching it. I didn't finish it. I didn't see I, it. I like I liked everything I saw. Did, do you know how that originated with the podcast episode? No, because I don't listen to his podcast yeah. as much. I, I didn't either, but I read about it and then I went back and listened to it. But he has a podcast, a weekly podcast that he does with Jason Muse. Yeah. And they, I think it was him or it might've been his other, I forget what his name is, the Smodcast. Yeah. Um, Where they just started launching in this idea about we're going to make a movie about this. And they made up the entire plot of the film in the podcast episode and then filmed it. That's amazing. And I love that idea, but reading about the movie made me kind of sick. <laughs> it was just like, it's such an intense plot and such. I have a real I haven't finished it. So don't spoil it. No, I don't know what happens either, but okay. we've, we've talked about your squeamishness with blood. Yeah. And how I don't have that. I have a thing about body modification that really sickens me. You can't watch Cronenberg movies. I haven't seen any now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but something about like body somebody horror? transforming. Oh, I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, I guess American body Werewolf? modification is the London. wrong word. Like body transformation. Uh, I don't know. Grosses me out. It just makes me like physically ill. That was my mom's monster truck. Yeah, it might be. Sounds like it's out there. Okay, never mind. Um, I haven't. I, I, I want to watch Tusk now. That's what that yeah. makes me want to do is finish Tusk to find out because everything I watched, I was enjoying. And I mm-hmm. love Justin Long. Yeah. Never seen anything I didn't like with him in it. Mm-hmm. Jeepers Creepers was like my number one high school film for whatever it's, reason. It's, that's a, <laughs> such a fucking the year it came out, like yeah. high school, 2002, 2003 era yeah. of like. That's ex- that's <laughs> that, one of the uh, most it of itself era movies. To when me. I, when I was in film class in high school, every single movie I tried to write was road horror genre, <laughs> uh, based on Jeepers Creepers and Joyride. I was gonna say they Joyride. Ca- I think they came out the nail. same year or around the same time. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the any film that takes place on the road in a car where they're like trapped in the car and trying to escape. And it's just a very dry, basic plot really, really spoke to me in high school. And that's the kind of movie I wanted to make. Just thought the coolest film plot is people trapped in a car and trying to escape from something the whole movie. I think, I think a lot of early filmmakers make uh, movies about containments like that. Yeah. Because so often I think they're writing them from contained points of their lives mm-hmm. like i'm stuck in this apartment i'm stuck in this fucking studio apartment i'm stuck here i'm stuck i lived in my friend's van i have to write this thing and they just kind of wrote from those experience and that's what makes those like first ones so fucking banger yeah i think spielberg's first movie was duel never seen, seen that one it, no. it's just it's again like a guy trapped in a car and a truck driver chasing him the whole movie mm-hmm. and it's very basic but those are the kind of movies I really liked or wanted to emulate in yeah. high school. I wrote like several scripts about, uh, I don't even remember what it was about, but it was a horror film where people are on a road trip and they end up like in these cornfields and being mm-hmm. chased through cornfields. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was like the ultimate scary place is like being in a cornfield where you can't see anything, but you know, someone's chasing you. Yeah. And I never actually completed any of those, but that was what have I you, wanted to have do. Have you watched In the Tall Grass? No. Don't. Is it a good one? Okay. Sucks. Then I won't. Such a disappointment. It, it was so good at mm. first. <laughs> but there was there was an era there where I was really into those modern 
horror films. And then the horror train lost me at some point around like house of wax or hostel, like Mm -hmm. around that era for whatever reason, I just got off the horror train and it wasn't until it wasn't like the same kind of horror anymore. Yeah. Those are so different. Those are so like popcorn exploitation. Uh If that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm sure there's still good, uh, horror films that were made during that era, but it wasn't until like, great. I love hostel. But it's not a horror movie. It's a torture movie. Uh-huh. It's different. It's yeah. not the same it, thing. All the to me. Saw movies, I think, kind of mm-hmm. drove they that. They called it torture porn. Yeah. Which I love the f- the first and second Saw. Amazing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hostile. One and two is good for what they are. Yeah. I really liked both of them. But I don't, you know, the sequel's just too indulgent. It's not horror movies anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't care for that. I think horror really had to beef itself up and get better. And like quality wise, yeah. And we had we've had so many good horror movies the past decade, yeah. Like it's amazing. There's never been a better decade in horror. Seventies, <laughs> eighties, fuck off. Like two thousand tens has been <laughs> untouchable. Most of my favorite horror movies have now come from this last decade or mm-hmm. two. It's great. What's the next one? <laughs> I like this game where we I name a film and then we talk about another film for yeah, like twenty minutes. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was I said? Chasing Amy. Yeah. So <laughs> we got. To, <laughs> 2010s horror movies uh the client oh with um tommy lee jones yeah yeah i love tommy lee jones in pretty much anything movie terrified me as a kid really yeah yeah i can see how yeah and and, and now it's good i don't mind it i oh so now that i think about it i actually have a good memory attached to this one which is part of why i think i like it so much so my dad my dad when i was growing up worked at an oil refinery like my whole life um and he worked in the control room. So his job was to just watch controls yeah. and make sure that like no tanks boiled over. And then he'd like take walks around the perimeter and make sure everything was good and then go back. So his job involved a lot of just sitting and making sure everything was being run correctly. So what they would do is his coworkers would bring in movies and they would just watch movies during downtime. And so my dad was watching like two or three movies a night for a long time. And Sounds he had like this, he had this coworker who would go to Blockbuster and get the new releases, take them home, dub a copy on his own tape and then bring it back. And then he would bring in boxes of VHS tapes of any new movie you wanted to see. So, uh, the first time my dad saw the client, he watched it by himself at work and then picked us up from my mom's house at like seven o'clock in the morning, took us out to breakfast and told us the entire plot. Like, <laughs> like as if we were watching the movie and then went to Blockbuster, rented it and put it on so we could watch it ourselves. Oh. And so my entire experience of that was my dad is so excited about this movie and it makes me want to watch it. And then we watched it and loved it. And then we watched it repeatedly. Yeah. And so I think that I have a fondness connected to that movie. That's more about the fact that my dad was so excited to share it with us. Like he didn't just watch it on his own and then go home and go about his life. He was like, I need my kids to see this right now. That's you know? great. Yeah. I think that's probably why I like it so much. But then it's another movie that Allie had never seen that I got to introduce her to. And now she likes it just as much as I do. So she'll usually choose to put it on if we're picking a movie. What a trip. Man. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Reese Jones Parker. is uh, in The Fugitive. Tommy Lee Jones in... There's a movie called Double Jeopardy that yeah, he's in. I, yeah. I have it right there. It's another one. <laughs> I, for like, for whatever reason, love that movie. And I, I, I liked that it. movie when I was yeah. a kid, yeah. Uh, let's see, what was the next? The Truman Show. Dude, I don't like that movie. Yeah? It's one of, it's like exactly 
what I'm paranoid about type of thing. Or it's like, <laughs> it, it's exactly what I'm terrified of. There mm-hmm. was a, there was a moment when I couldn't do, um, futuristic movies or post-apocalyptic movies mm-hmm. or like meta movies like that. Yeah. Really depressed me. Mm-hmm. Did not like them. Um, I didn't like it when I saw it. I should give it a rewatch now to see how I feel about it. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> why did, why did you like it? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's another, it's an, maybe another example of something that you watch that makes you feel like, Hey, I felt that way. Mm-hmm. And then you see it come to life on the screen and you're like, Hey, that's very validating. Yeah. Something that I can strongly relate to. That's why Tarantino um, movies are good. Yeah. 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 I've never seen a Tarantino movie with a bad ending. Uh huh. They always end. I, I all of his movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Best endings, yeah. To movies, period. The most uh, satisfying, I mean. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best way to end movies, but always the most satisfying. Do you remember the ending of the Truman Show? No. So that's another. Yeah. Just. Sorry. Don't don't pay attention to me. Okay. I thought I heard something. I do that all I, the time. I do this to Allie all the time. Yeah. And I thought it was a like a male female thing. Maybe it's not, but where I can't focus on anything if I feel like our life is possibly in danger and I feel like she ignores yeah. every sound. Yes. <laughs> you yes, know what I'm talking about? I do. If I'm we, like, did you hear that fucking twig snap? It's a killer, bitch. We got to kill him first. Cuz we live at the top of the stairs. Yeah. Every once in a while I, I feel like I hear somebody turning our doorknob or somebody coming yeah. up the stairs and they have no reason to because there's only our apartment and the people across from us who never have visitors. And it's like, it, it, she can focus on whatever is going on. And if there's a sound, I'm like, hold on, hold on. Because you're my, there. Yeah. She's like, I'm good. You're here. Yeah. When you're not there, she's probably like, I heard the noise. Yeah, only, maybe, only, maybe that's beca- it. Because I think that there's a certain amount of comfortability girls get. I like to see that how independent girls can be. Yeah. But when, if I'm around Kylie, she's like, sorry, I'm going to get in the kangaroo pouch now. <laughs> At least in my head, that could be, yeah. it could be totally the other way. And maybe I'm it, just being, I kind of feel like it's, it's similar to the way that dogs are. You know how every once in a while your dog just starts barking at a thing yeah. and you're like, shut up. But the yeah. dog can't not like, bark at don't, it. You don't He's like, you bad? don't get it. We're in danger. And the dog is trying to protect you. That's so and cute. I think I'm very protective of Allie in that way where it's like, I'm worried right now because you're here. Like if I were alone, I probably wouldn't pay attention as much. If I was alone, I'd wait till the door was broken down before I reacted. <laughs> not, not be like, Oh, I hear the steps cord towards the door. Right. All right. What's the, what's the next we? one? <laughs> Forrest Gump. Pretty uh, it's for, everybody's Forrest, favorite. Yeah, Forrest it's, Gump's it's in everybody's it, top five. It reminds me of uh, Goodfellas, where it's like I could watch this movie anytime. Yeah, it's like there's a narration to it's it. So, it takes a lot out of me now. When I watch Forrest Gump, it feels like an event, and I I try to only watch it every few years. But there was a period of time where I watched it many many times a yeah. year, and uh, my best friend in high school and I watched it together several times, and then started to quote it like from the very first line yeah. and see how far through it we could get. And we both worked on our Forrest Gump impressions. We That's both did great. a pretty good Bubba. And uh, nice. but yeah, I like those kind of movies where it's just it feels like the plot of the story is not as important as the character that it's happening to. It's just that it's yeah. just this guy. And he's just there through every significant event in history. And you're following along, but what really matters is his own personal life and what he's going through. Yeah, it feels very, it's like anybody can relate to that. 
sort of thing. Yeah, because we've all been lived through history. Yeah. Whether we've been right at the precipice or not. Yeah. It's, it's relatable. It's <laughs> but but I feel, again, like it's such an obvious, it's everybody's one of their favorite movies. Uh, this is a little more unique. As good as it gets. I, okay. Um, uh, my parent, we that movie was always on as a kid, uh-huh. and my we owned it. Um, I there's something I don't know about this movie. Uh-huh. I tried watching it recently, and I fell asleep to it. And I woke up, and there was like violence happening. Uh-huh. So yeah. don't say anything. Okay. I need to rewatch it. Um, th- I think what whatever reasons you may have, yeah, are right. <laughs> There's something about this movie. I was watching right. it and I was like, what the fuck is this movie? Right. I don't know what this movie is, do mm-hmm. I? Um, so let um, uh, I'm right. I'm writing a lot of shit down over here on my, <laughs> my own here. I have some chores to do as good as it gets. Got but it. This, okay. was, this was a movie that like also played in my house when I was young. My mom loved it yeah. when it came out yeah. and I didn't get it. Like I had I, no idea what it was about. I didn't understand, but then yeah, watched it. And then many, many times over and over again and started to realize like, I think this is one of my favorite movies ever. And I, I just love the way it flows. I love the characters. I love the lines. Like I love the way it's written. Jack Nicholson's perfect. I, I, I think what I love is a good flawed romantic comedy where it's like the the perfection of a romantic comedy turns me off yeah but ones that are legitimately flawed and not just fake flawed where it's like oh she's really really pretty but she wears glasses and so we're supposed to feel like she's an outsider in some way this feels like a movie where he is very much an outsider yeah and it's not fake it's like that's the whole plot of the movie is how weird and quirky this guy is and he's not able to have normal relationships because he messes them up yeah and then you see him struggle through that and it doesn't really work out it's kind of a mess the whole time i i like that okay (sighs) and i love almost anything jack nicholson is in too yeah i I don't think I, i can think of a jack nicholson movie that i haven't liked about schmidt is pretty high up there for me too but I don't oh, know if oh that you that like? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen that one. I recommend it. Yeah. Let's see. We're at top three now. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, that's good. I watched yeah. it once. Classic. Watched it recently. Movie. Uh, Christmas movie. Like, it's always on TV around Christmas time, and so it feels sort of necessary to watch, but something that as I grew up and watched back was like, oh, my God, this uh, it's another movie where it's like, this is kind of how I feel a lot of times, and it's... One of the things I appreciate it about it is it really, really takes its time getting to the point. It's getting to the plot of the film. Like if somebody broke down the plot for you in one or two sentences where it's, you've seen it, right? So I'm not going to spoil it. So yeah, guy basically wishes that he wasn't alive and gets a chance to see what life would be like without him. And then realizes that he's had an impact on all these people and wants to be alive again. That's, that doesn't come in until like an hour and a half into the movie. And the whole first section of the movie is just setting up this dude's life in very mundane details, which pay off later. And I really like that it takes its time getting there because I feel like modern movies rush to the point or they drag on in unnecessary ways sometimes. Well, they they have to, if they rush to the point too, they drag the point on and it's like, thanks for the useless third act. I, I really appreciate character development and getting like 
in, you know how in exposition, like sloppy exposition, where it's like they're going to explain to you why you need to know a certain detail, yeah. but they do it very quickly so that you get to the point. Yeah. I'd rather start out mundane and go, I have no idea what this movie's about. What are we even watching this for? For a long time. And then you're like, oh my God, I get it. Because Agreed. remember at the beginning? Uh, is There's no better payoff. Especially if yeah. you watch I, like a throwback in a TV show to an earlier season, mm-hmm. just like that little Easter egg. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Exposition is my favorite part. The beginning is my favorite part of any movie. Mm-hmm. Like exposition is my favorite part. Yeah. I don't know why. That's just like the best. Where I'm, like this is like when things are new and exciting, and I yeah. don't know what can happen yet. Right. And then the rest's you know. Yeah. I I don't know why I'm a huge fan of watching a movie that I don't understand where it's going for a while. Because I think I don't like movies where the plot is so like basic, and I get it. I know well, I know where we're going. Could you could you name one? Because I'm having a hard time thinking. Name of, one that yeah that I can't understand what's going on. Yeah, for, or one that happened like that. See Maybe something I, I could have seen. Thinking of her, one I saw recently. Uh, Nebraska stands yeah. out to me. Nebraska yeah. was one that when I saw it, I was like. What is even going to happen? There's just an old guy mm-hmm. and there's his kid. Like, where, where is this going? And even when you get towards the end, it's like, I still don't know if I get where this is going. There's a, there's a plot to it, but it's very loose. You know what I mean? I could cry thinking about him <laughs> driving down the street. <laughs> Fuck. And yeah, I love movies like that. I'm also a huge sucker for father-son bonding in movies. There's something that, that tugs at my heartstrings about a father who's been emotionally distant and a son who's been trying to get his attention or get him to be proud of him for something. And that small ways that a dad can finally acknowledge that, you know what I mean? Big fish. Yeah. I think I only saw that once. I didn't appreciate it the way I should have, but yeah, movies like father son bonding is, is <sighs> sometimes hard for me though. Big it's fish like, is my favorite Tim Burton movie. Mm. I like it more than Beetlejuice. I like it more than Edward Scissorhands. I like it more than Batman. Big fish is my favorite of his. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We got two to go. All right. Nebraska also a great name drop. Love that movie. Yeah. That's well, in my only, list too, but only, it was only seen it once, but I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I love those movies where you see them and you're like, I'm not going to put this on my top list because it feels like I'm just trying to get some credibility or something. Yeah. I watched but the I, black and white. I film. just know it's my favorite movie. Yeah. I just know. Uh, one, one of those for me is Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I couldn't, uh, I, I, I didn't get it when I watched it. Saw it one time and immediately was like, this is one of my favorite movies I've ever seen and never watched it again, but still <laughs> think of it fondly I love for whatever like reason. That, it's though. like, I just know it's in my top, but yeah. Okay. Top two. Uh, number two, Goodwill Hunting. Ah, love that movie. Yeah. The movie fucks me up. Yep. I just made a <laughs> I just made a fucking joke about it recent not even a joke. It was just I was just just shared some dumb Goodwill Hunting shit mm-hmm. recently. I fucking love Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. I I wasn't I wasn't allowed to watch it as a kid mm-hmm. because of like this really bad fight scene, which I watched as an adult. It's not bad at all. <laughs> I'm like, is this slow motion? Is there a song playing yeah, about the street fight? Yeah, gets, yeah. And I was like, okay, this is a great. So I I was always like, what is this fucking movie that I can't watch? Yeah. It's so edgy. It was I, my parents had a very strange uh, criteria for what I could and couldn't watch. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the ones where they're like, Dallas, don't watch this scene. I'm like, yeah. why the fuck not? You showed me the outsiders yeah. <laughs> where the guy named Dallas is shot by police. Yeah. I'm watching this. I'm four years old. How can you do this to me? I can't watch. 
fucking 90s music playing yeah. over goodwill hunting love that movie but my Go parents ahead. were my parents had rules about things we could and couldn't watch that never made sense to me um growing up my mom my mom one of her favorite movies of all time is excalibur 70s okay. movie i think okay full-on nude sex scenes like extensive nude sex scenes yeah. that we watched many times yeah. but if we watch a teen movie where a girl is wearing like a really skimpy bikini she's like turn it off immediately don't want you Weird. to watch that um my mom hates uh like female sexuality that's forced to the forefront of a scene like the the cleavage is like right up in the shot my mom can't stand that kind of movie but if it's a tasteful sex scene she doesn't mind at all and so uh, sometimes now i know what movies my mom will and won't like based on that so i'll watch movies and my mom doesn't watch a lot of new movies so uh, sometimes i have to insist on one like i know you're gonna love this because i know your taste and so there's a lot that she avoids because she knows that she's not gonna like it so i'm like her filter for (laughs) that now your little fucking barometer that's funny <laughs> little nudity barometer <laughs> <laughs> number one yeah and i i feel like it's obvious i feel like if you know me i've talked about the movie do you know what it is i have a guess i'm not tr- it's not trivia you don't get bonus points for getting it but i just wonder if i've talked about it a lot it's possible what is it did you have a guess oh so i'm here. keeping it to myself to see oh. if i i'm right i don't I, i'm not trying well, how to I know you're not lying you're just gonna lie and I'll, say, I'll write it down cocksucker i'm kidding jesus this might be ali's favorite movie maybe i'm confusing it okay go ahead what is it parenthood the fuck is that <laughs> the okay fuck i'm glad is you don't know parenthood? good i feel like i've talked about it too much but maybe i haven't what was your guess ferris bueller's day off oh no that's not any of our favorites <laughs> it's just a classic okay <laughs> parenthood is uh, 1989. Steve Martin is, I guess, the lead, but it's not really a oh, Steve Martin movie. Oh, she just shared the drawing of this, right? No, that was Father of the Bread. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Parenthood is like an ensemble cast, and it's one of the only ensemble movies that I really enjoy. Where there's really no lead character because you're in everybody's lives at different points of the movie but it's one that does it incredibly well in my opinion does it incredibly well it's an extended family of like grandfather grandmother and then all of their kids who are now adults and then all of their kids who are like teenagers or little kids and seeing all of their different styles of parenting and they are they're all interwoven so like you go from one inter one immediate family's house to another immediate family's house and they're all connected in weird ways but their styles of parenting are completely different okay this sounds amazing it is it's something that I again played a lot when I was a kid because yeah. my parents loved it. I liked it as just a goofy, like funny Steve Martin film. But as I got older, it was like I cry every time I watch this movie now Ooh, I need because to watch it. I there's love any so movie. much. There's so much of that dysfunction that's like this parent screwed up this kid in this way, and they're now screwing up their kid in the same way or overcompensating, and all of them are messed up, but they all love each other and are like it, because you're a parent and like you never you never get over loving your kid right and so as messed up as their lives are they're all so attached to each other you know what i mean i need to watch this movie good i hope you do i've never heard I've, someone explain a movie <laughs> and then me want to watch it ever when people tell me to like something yeah. i hate it i've recommended it to so many people and i don't think any of them have watched it fuck because you i'll I watch it right now cocksucker we're gonna i'm gonna turn sorry I you will cry I, th- I, I, good. I think you'll cry dude have you seen boyhood 
Yes. That movie fucked That's another that's yeah, it's it, the same kind yeah. of that movie fucked me up. Yeah. Made me cry cuz I grew up this I'm I was the same age as him. Yeah. In the movie, I was the same age. It follows him. It was filmed over 10 years growing up with this kid. You and I was his same age in the same era that they're filming in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I just watched my childhood. Yeah. That sucked. Yeah. That hurt. Yeah. That really did not the, feel good. The part, <laughs> the part of that movie that makes me really emotional is when his dad gives him the black album, the yeah. Beatles black album. Yeah. It's, it's one of those scenes where it's like, I went through this divorce like in the same era of my childhood where my parents split up and they were both trying their best, you know, they're like both trying to still be parents and to see, I, cause I only saw it once, but if I remember correctly, yeah. his dad promised him a car or something for his birthday and he wanted this car so badly. And instead his dad gives him this mix CD <laughs> and he doesn't appreciate it, but the, it's like the most loving gift the dad could have gotten him because he really put time into it and he was trying to pass something on to his kid that meant a lot to him and the kid doesn't appreciate it because he wanted something else that kind of thing kills me it's especially with dads like for whatever reason dads are so vulnerable and like unwilling to to budge on things emotionally and when they try in their own unique way sometimes we just don't appreciate it because we don't recognize it it. exactly And I, yeah, I have a strange relationship with my dad, which I think we've talked about enough times, but like looking back on my childhood and trying to appreciate the things in my dad that I didn't at the time. And now, especially as I'm his age or like the age that he was when I was a kid, just imagining it's like, you didn't know what you're doing. You were doing any more than I know what I'm doing now. Like life felt like you were the expert and like you knew what you were doing. And I was a kid and figuring it out. And then I get to this age and it's like, Oh, I'm still a kid and figuring it out. And you totally felt this way too. And you have no idea what you're doing. You're kind of just trying. And so anyway, parenthood is, I think the movie that captures it the best. It's just because you get to see it from so many different angles where like, if you don't relate to this family, you'll relate to this family. And like, sometimes you're the teenage boy and sometimes you're the grandpa and sometimes you're the uncle and like, you see yourself stop, stop, and stop, everybody you stop. love. I got to stop you, dude. Yeah. I can't. I need to watch <laughs> this fucking movie. You're upsetting me. Oh my God. So yeah. Favorite Chris, movie. Chris Lambert. Time. Thank you again so much. <laughs> Is that how we're ending this? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, that's, maybe. That's good enough. I have one more question for you. Okay. Uh, what part of your day do you look forward to most? Interesting. There's a lot There's a lot of different ones, but I think for whatever reason recently, it's uh, when I first wake up in the morning. Like first waking up in the morning, yeah. I have to pee so bad. Mm-hmm. Pee and then Allie sleeps in longer than I do. Mm-hmm. Like she usually sleeps for an hour or two longer than I do. Yeah. And getting up, it's not that I don't want to be around her either. Cause I know that's immediately where she's going to, she's going to hear me say this and be <laughs> like, he doesn't want to be around me. <laughs> it's just that it's the most peaceful time of day. Yeah. And I, I mean can that, see how that can be I mean that in that the world around us is, yeah, exactly. And so when I wake up and she's still asleep and I, it's like, I know where she is. See, when she leaves and she's like working on something or shooting, if it was really just being away from her that I loved, then it would all be the same. But when she's out of the house, I can't stop thinking about where she's at and whether she's okay. But when she's asleep in bed, I know exactly where she's at. I know that she's safe. 
and that, that way security. I can relax and just read. Um, and so what I've started doing recently is reading in the morning and then listening to albums on headphones, which I don't take a lot of time to do. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden I'm going through a wave of it where it's like all these albums I've been ignoring, I'm listening to them through headphones and then repeating them. Wow. And reading the Wikipedia page about them or reading interviews about them and starting to reappreciate music. And that's part of what's inspiring me to make my own album again. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, I love the art of the album and making an album and everything that goes into it. And it makes me want to start that process over. So when I first wake up in the morning is probably the part of the day I look forward to the most. That's awesome. That's It's lovely to have a routine and yeah. to have something you look forward to. I'm just trying to find something that I uh, do during my days that gives me that sense of purpose or that sense of like, oh, what's it going to be like today or what's yeah. it... Uh, what version of it is it going to be today that mm -hmm. I can still kind of thread together from the other versions it's been? Yeah. yeah. You, w listening to you and Kylie work out how you're going to live together and how you're going to cohabitate and stuff oh, yeah. and makes me think of, I was in that position and now I've lived with Allie for going on six years now we've been together. And I think of you two as a couple in like a very admirable way mm -hmm. often. Uh -huh. Yeah, I really admire your guys' relationship. Yeah. But continue. Yeah, I heard you, you were talking about what you worry about with moving in together. And I think mm -hmm. what she said was about having a bedroom that feels like it's a shared space yeah. and that she feels like she's going to sort of make it her own space and that you won't feel comfortable in it. And my first thought there was like, I have completely let Allie do whatever she wants with our bedroom yeah. because I spend so little time in there. It's like whatever you want in here, it's totally fine with me. Same with the living room. You do what you want with the living room. It's like, there's a separate section of the house that I'm going to spend my time in anyway. And yeah. also I just trust her taste. And like, I'm yeah. sure you're the same with Kylie where it's like, you're not going to make it like my little pony where I just mm -hmm. never want to be in here ever. Mm -hmm. You're, you're tasteful and you know what you're doing. And so I would say, just sort of let her do that with the bedroom. Yeah. And then you said that she sleeps longer than you do. And that was my first thought is get up earlier and then you normally do and spend some time every morning by yourself. Like whether it's having a cup of coffee or like trying to write or trying to do something yeah. before she's awake. And then when she's awake, give your full attention to her and your relationship, but using the time that you do have apart from each other when it's like, like I said, you know, she's safe in bed, you know that everything's okay, relax and do your stuff then. Cause with our relationship, we live in a small apartment right now. Yeah. And so when one of us needs to get work done, the other one has to leave or something. It's like, you have to find your own thing. I, I remember and you telling me yeah, about that. That's, Allie that's beautiful. tends to go to Starbucks or something, or yeah. if she has a shoot, she'll be on site. And then if she needs to edit or something, I like to drive. I just like to drive in circles mm -hmm. and listen to stuff. And we found our own ways of making that happen. But again, even when she's gone and I have all the time in the world to myself, I'm a little worried that she's not safe. Yeah. So it's more comfortable when I know where she is and everything's okay. And I would say second most uh, time, time that I look most yeah. forward to is our dinner together. Cause that's when no matter what we've been doing in our separate directions all day, they collide. We, we get back together, we're on the couch and we're gonna watch something or oh, talk okay. and catch up and that every day repeats that in some way that no matter what's going on, we're going to have dinner together. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love you. I love you. All right. This is the bad etiquette podcast folks. Where the fuck are you?